This podcast is sponsored by Hover, the best way to buy and manage domain names. Please visit Hover.com and use promo code Mockingbird to get 10% off your first order. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast brought to you by BaldMove.com. We are the officially unofficial podcast for HBO's Game of Thrones television series. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. You know, Aaron, there's only one podcast that I've ever truly loved. Really, Jim? You mean it, honest and true. A cast of kings. No. Okay. Tonight we're talking about episode seven? Mockingbird. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I have a hard time keeping that in mind. I don't know. Because there's three episodes left to go, and it seems like there's so much happened this season. This season, by far, the most breck, the breathneck, the breathneck pace. Yeah. The breakneck pace. has already died. A king died early. A king died episodes ago. Yeah. And we've, we've seen more dragons in this season than we have the previous three. All right. Yeah. We've had, we've had a king died. King dead. King died. Mm-hmm. We've had a city sacked. I mean, traditionally, we'd be we'd be done. We'd be wrapping up. Sure. But we still got uh, a badass duel to look forward to. Who knows what? Who knows? Who could predict what was com- what's coming up next? <laughs> Any book reader. <laughs> I know. We're assholes. Anyway, this episode, uh, again, Mockingbird alluding to Peter Baelish's personal sigil. Not, yeah. his, not his family sigil, his personal sigil, directed again by Alec Sakharov and written by the Double Ds, David Benioff and Daniel Weiss. It debuted to 7.2 million watchers. That's a new record. I was going to say, that sounds like a lot for Game of Thrones. That is a shit ton. I am continuing to be confused. Well, hold on a second. Let's talk about what we thought about this episode. Okay. We've seen it a couple times since our instant take which I hope you guys tuned in for. What do you think? Uh, I mean, coming off the back of, you know, Tyrion's amazing scene last, the episode previous to this, uh, it's hard to beat that, but this was right up there with it. I mean, that, like I said, that scene between Oberyn and Tyrion this episode uh, was great. There was a lot of good stuff with Arya and the Hound. I, I just really had fun, I guess, watching this episode. Yeah, it just felt cool. I mean, it, everything built up to Prince Oberyn's champion moment. Yeah. And almost to the point where Lysa getting chucked out the moon door felt like a come down. <laughs> it's kind of like... Maybe, although she had it a long time coming, so I was happy to see it. It's kind of like, and Boston fans switch off now, when the Colts beat the Patriots for the AVC championship game, the Super Bowl is a letdown. Because mm. I, you know, seeing the Colts finally get over the hump of the Patriots, uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just, I, I felt like uh, the Super Bowl was a, I guess maybe Chicago fans should turn away now too. <laughs> it was, it was just kind of a, a formality. Gotcha. Anyway, um, I forget that you're not a sports fan. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I really liked the episode, too. Uh, I think that you could accuse this as being a more connective tissue episode, but it had such great stuff, and 
is propelling the plot to such exciting things. And I will even say that if you take the totality of of Tyrion's scenes with his three visitors in jail, I'm not so sure that that wasn't better work by him than the final scene it in was the courtroom. Certainly more subtle, uh, no doubt about that. I mean, definitely you submit last one to the to the Emmys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was a lot of really strong, like you said, subtle work there. For sure. I am totally confused about the credit sequence now. They're like, <laughs> okay. we got fucking Bravos. There's no Bravos. We're still missing the Eerie. We know they have an Eerie set piece. Uh-huh. Winterfell's we, still burning. Winterfell's still burning. We had an honest to God scene set in Dragonstone. First time I think this season, no Dragonstone. <laughs> Like, I I really don't understand. I think that HBO, the editors got confused with Memorial Day weekend skippage. They're like, "Uh, which which theme do we put here? Oh, let's put this one here. But wait, do we have a scene with that play? Well, I don't know. We skip a week, so I'm not sure. I do wonder when I see, like, a director directing two episodes in a row. I mean, obviously, this is shot movie style, so he's probably shooting the majority of this stuff in one go and maybe even a little bit here and there. Hmm, and yeah. they have to order these credit sequences with a lead time. Cause I guess they're incredibly expensive and hard to produce and hard to cut with the music and all that. That's really weird though, because they all look prefabbed in season one, except for the brand new stuff. Right. But I'm, I guess it's the synchronization with the music. <laughs> Come on, I could do that in I know, Adobe Premiere. I'm, I'm an hour saying and a half. what I've heard from the professional people. It doesn't <laughs> make sense to me either. But if maybe they were trying to play it safe and like, well, put the Bravos in both, and okay, but it just doesn't make sense. Because again, no. I just feel like if Dave Porter can write a whole fucking soundtrack in less than a week's time, these guys can sync up some audio and cut together some prefab stuff on this credit sequence. Oh. Like I said, I could probably do that. <laughs> All right. We have spent way too much time pissing and moaning about the credit sequence. Let's talk about uh, we start the episode with Jamie just tearing into Tyrion about uh, falling for a stripper. Sure. Committed one of the classic blunders. Uh, Yeah, a little hypocritical of Jamie, I think. I mean, Tyrion points out all his sins right in a row, and Jamie, Jamie doesn't, doesn't like, like it too much. Yeah, it's funny that everyone says that, you know, what a great relationship Jamie and Tyrion have. And I think it's funny that just because they have a somewhat normal sibling relationship that I don't think is especially warm and inviting one. No. I mean, Tyrion can't tell the truth to him uh-huh. when Jamie's coming after him hard. I mean, fuck that bullshit. Yeah. Sister fucker. You got no place. <laughs> Sister raper. You got no place to talk. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I went Tyrion there. doesn't even know about that. Uh no he does not only 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 the gods and Joff saw that one. <laughs> uh anyway, what do you think about Tyrion here? Do you, I was kind of surprised that he thought Jamie would be up to the task. Now I know he wasn't privy to all the training and all that stuff, but I'm I'm surprised that he thought that he was. Although I guess. Also, Tyrion was under the impression that maybe Cersei would pull somebody from the Kingsguard. And we hmm. have a very low opinion based on the impressions of people that we do respect, like Jamie and Ser Barristan. Yeah. We have, and Braun. We have a very low opinion of all their ability. Sure. Uh, I, I was a little surprised at Jamie's um, 
I guess, lack of confidence in himself as well. I, I didn't think he was getting his ass totally kicked by Braun last we saw him training. Uh, he was certainly getting beat, but it didn't seem like he was just getting flat-out ass-kicked. Uh, so, yeah, a little surprising there. Um, and I also wonder if there's a little bit of he is part of the Kingsguard. So to take oh. up arms against the the king's wishes would kind of be... That's, you're right. That'd be like the Attorney General of the United States representing <laughs> someone against the government. Yeah, yeah, that's a good analogy. I'm, I did not... I never really thought that through. I'm surprised they didn't put that into the scene. Yeah, they like, didn't play hello, that out. Hello, but... Lord Commander to fucking Kingsguard. <laughs> You're on trial for murder of the king. At best, I can recuse myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At worst, I would be <laughs> beating your ass on the field of battle or your champion. Sure. Yeah, so I don't know. Uh, a lot is made about the family name being snuffed out with a single swing of the sword if, if he did go ahead with this and it was mm. allowed. Uh Tywin's 67. I'm pretty sure he's still got rounds in the chamber. Mm. He might find it distasteful, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> he would come out of retirement. He'd bring the jersey down from uh-huh. the rafters and fuck once more. He'd play for the Wizards. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He'd, he'd dribble out a few more. Yeah. If it meant continuing his line. There's no fucking way Tywin Lannister goes to the grave yeah. passing that on to his you know brother or uncle or whoever it would go to i just don't see it happening yeah i mean maybe he could maybe he could uh the other option is you know i don't know i mean tommen what's tommen all about tommen's a baratheon right yes he doesn't okay. have the so last he's not name lannister blood yeah plus, technically plus some people uh i got some emails in between casts which i don't think we'll have time to read but people were speculating does as tywin kind of waved the white flag intellectually about this and like i'm pretty sure these are all my bastard grandsons and i mm. don't want the the wager the family dynasty on uh-huh. that because because that secret might get out wager the family dynasty on what well if if the Baratheon children, which are technically also Lannisters, if it turns out that sure. they're bastards and they get lose everything, I don't think Tywin. You know, I, I don't okay. think Ty, I, like Stannis actually does have a claim to the throne. And well, not just that, because I don't, I don't know that he's worried about that happening. But okay. just personally, he doesn't consider them. Yeah, yeah, real kids. Sure, I could see Tywin very much thinking that, and he he doesn't want. You know, he wants. Like he said last episode, I want children with Lannister last names carrying my banners. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so no stag. Don't want don't want to to pollute my banners with any stag. Mm-mm. The teeth of the stag. Uh, so Cersei's named the Mountain as champion, and we see him in the next scene, which I think is meant to be impressive of him just mowing down. It seems like they're convicted prisoners. What maybe could this possibly do for his prowess in battle? <sighs> I I mean, they're not even fighting back. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're trying. They're... Are they? Not the last one. The last one just cowers no, the last in fear one pissed while... his breeches, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I... I don't know. It doesn't seem like this is helping the mountain at all. Uh, See, I thought, uh, and here again, this, uh, this is me nitpicking the double Ds, but when I saw him in this preseason footage, you know, just mowing down these people, that I thought this would be an instance of him reaving out in the Riverlands. That we would be in the middle of him just mowing down people in the village, left, right, and center, and yeah. then he'll get a raven message like "You're recalled back to King's Landing." He'd be like, Arr! and then 
that and I thought I was like, okay, well that'd be kind of cool. That'd be an introduction because we haven't seen this guy do anything since he fucking cut the head of a horse yeah, off, which is badass. And then went toe to toe with his brother during the uh, King's Hand tourney in season one. I mean, that's almost as badass as Arnold Schwarzenegger Just punching a camel punching, out. Punching out, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> definitely uh, fist on hoof crime popular <laughs> with the bald movers here. I love it. I do think that uh, that that would have been a slightly better introduction. I'm I I think that they were just trying to reestablish the fact that this guy is almost a man, maniacal berserker and he's huge. He's enormous. I mean, the shot where the, Cersei walks up and you know asks him to be the champion. Uh, the, they shoot up at the sun, and the height difference is yes. insane. And that's real life. I mean, this guy's yeah. like I think six nine and oh, weighs four hundred pounds, three hundred fifty four hundred pounds, and it looks like he's mostly muscle. Like, yes. just a huge, beefy dude. He's literally a strong man. Like, he's the type of guy that throws yeah. telephone poles and lifts 200-pound kettlebells and whatever the fuck else Pulls they do. cars up hills and Pushes trains buses. off tracks for, for <laughs> entertainment on the Ocho, ESPN 8. Uh-huh. So he's he's definitely legit. I I found myself and I was super excited because you know I love badasses. Sure, I do too. Huge Expendables fan, huge mm-hmm. Arnold and uh, Stallone back in the day fan. He fell a little flat, and I was trying to figure out why because I was so excited to see, you know, after we had the bean pole that rides in season two, <laughs> so excited to see a return to form for this guy. Yeah. And I, I think it's because he looks so damn young. Really? Like, I don't buy that this guy is the older brother of Sandor. Yeah, that's a good point. Sandor looks a good 10, 15 years older than him, and I believe, in fact, he is. Like yeah, probably. Couldn't they life. scar up his face a little bit? Put some put some salt and pepper in that beard. Yeah, you would think so. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I I also didn't buy where where Jamie comes from later, or not Jamie, where Braun comes from later, where he says, you know, he's much quicker than you'd think for a man of his size. He didn't seem that fast either. Mm. Like he certainly seemed powerful. Like a one shot from a sword, you're done. Yeah, you're you got plate mail. It doesn't. He's going to open you like a can of tuna yes. with one swing of that thing. <laughs> Absolutely. But I didn't buy that he he's fast enough to hit roughly anything. In fact, I I, I do agree that I mean he's supposed to be faster than you'd expect from a guy of his size. Which I don't know what but I expect from a guy of his size. I honestly. also don't think it helps when he's swinging a seven foot steel sword. True. Like maybe yeah. if he had like a traditional sword yeah he's basically swinging one of me yeah like it, equivalent weight no if you see him posing with lena headley uh the sword is taller than she is oh jesus it's like she's he's swinging a cersei around yeah and i feel like that you know if he had a more conventional sword then mm-hmm. maybe he'd be able to swing that thing a little bit faster i don't know it'd be interesting to see because they're really positioning this as uh a two clashing styles sure you got oberon which is this live guy you presume that he's going to be quick and deadly and accurate versus mm-hmm. the mountain, which, you know, he's maybe a little bit slower and lumbering. But if he catches you just once, yeah, you're not going to be able to recover from that. <laughs> and that's the thing. He does. I don't think he has to catch you with a sword if he can just punch you. Oh, if it's a grapple. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he'll just pull your fucking head off. I Forget mean, there's it. if he gets his hand on you or lands a solid blow of that sword. Yep. It, you're not going to be able to recover in time to keep him from just destroying you. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, I'm pretty excited to see how that goes down next week. Me too. But let's have a word about trial by combat. We had several people asking, and the thing is, 
there so so the the questions I'm getting are what's to stop a guy like the mountain, for example, from just doing whatever the hell he wants and when he gets arrested for his crime, trial by combat, yep, and beating his way to victory. There's a couple of things, and I don't I've seen a lot of different people, like the hand of the tower uh runs a pretty authoritative blog. Uh they've got the Meister over at Grantland. There's a lot of people saying stuff, but it just seems like like a lot of things in Westerosi justice, it all depends. First of all, it seems like trial by combat is only an option when the truth of the matter is in doubt. Hmm. Okay. You know, like if you got several eyewitnesses beyond, like if, if, if it wasn't Shay, if it was say Cersei that heard him make plans, Mm -hmm. it might be over for Tyrion. Hmm. Um, if it's a lord accusing a peasant, there's not going to be any trial by combat. In fact, there's probably not going to be a trial. It's just going to be off with his head or chop his arm off or send him to the wall or whatever the fuck he ends up wanting to do. Gotcha. So there has to be some kind of, you know, trial, which you have to be kind of granted by your peers. Um, okay. It's kind of interesting that Lady Arryn uh, granted that right to Tyrion in the first season. You know, with Tyrion being a Lannister and at King's Court, he almost has to have that. Hmm. But, yeah, like, yeah. Sir Dantas would not be granted that that right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's like there has to be some facts and doubts, and you have to have a certain standing. Um, hmm. But it also it does seem, with the evidence that we've seen, that the, the trials by combat is to the death. Okay, well, from what I've read, there is, you know, you can... In the middle of combat, if you think you're going to lose or whatever, or you just want to, you can, uh, you can admit your crimes, mm. I guess, and mm. the the trial by combat will be over. But then you've admitted your crimes, your right. guilt, right, right. So, so it's you know it's basically letting guys aside. Um, and and I just as I said that I was doing some research about Prince Oberyn before the cast, and I actually note that his very first battle when he was 16 years old, uh, you'll never believe this, but he was in bed with another man's woman. No, and the guy demanded right of trial by combat for satisfaction, and it was the first blood. So apparently, huh. there okay. is various. You know, someone can submit uh, if you if you nick them or make them bleed, then that will be. Or there's some hmm. to, that's to the death, and I don't know if that's established before, or if it's you know if any time someone can can yield and the combat would be over. But if it's to the death, your champion has to be. Really, really fucking certain that he's going to win on both sides, or sure. else why the hell would you do it? Yeah, yeah. So you know, be like if an executioner, if the condemned had a gun, <laughs> flip the switch before this guy shoots you. I don't know how many executioners we'd have. Yeah. Um, let's move on. Uh, the Hound and Arya go up to some sort of croft or some farmer's dwelling, uh, very cautiously because they're you know, worried in this uh, hellhole, shithole world that they're in, whether it's going to be food or soldiers, find an old man dying. They have a brief uh, philosophical debate, and the hound gives the man mercy. What do you think of the scene, Jim? Um, I like it as a whole. Uh, I think Arya's learning some things that uh, maybe a little girl ought not learn, but it's Arya, and we really want to see her get her vengeance, so mm-hmm. we really want her to learn these things. We're all rooting for this little girl to start killing people. Uh, it's a fucked up world, and, and Arya is a manifestation of that, and I, 
I really enjoyed that she's starting to take some cues from the Hound, who is, you know, a, a really good warrior. Her philosophy seems to be bordering on nihilism. Or is it nihilism? I don't know how to say it. There's I, so many ways, yeah. Yeah. I know the word. That should count for something. Sure. <laughs> uh, and it is kind of sad, but I guess I'd rather her hit on that than, like, sadism or, you know, <laughs> something you know, something more. This is kind of, like, neutral. It's like, okay. Nothing's nothing. Mm-hmm. When I'm killing you, you're not, you know, we're not going to go to hell. You're not going to go to heaven. It's just you're 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 dead. So yeah. whether that's a good or bad thing depends on the type of person you are and the type of condition you're in. It's sure. almost like a very scientific. Um, uh, what am I trying to say? Practical moral framework. Yeah, like a natural. Pragmatic. Pragmatic. Is what sure. I'm to go. So uh, after the hound gives her the brief lesson about where the heart is, we see two guys we haven't seen since season one. I believe it. Believe it. No, season two when the Arya let him out with uh, yeah. Jack and Hagar from the wagon that was on fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rorge and Biter. Biter jumps up on the hound and bites him. Gets his neck snapped instantly, which <laughs> yeah. I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, what was it? That's like before this, the hound had a line like, "That's how you kill someone," or "That's that's where the heart is." Yeah, and maybe it was you when we were watching it. You said that's how you kill someone, and then the guy jumps up and bites his neck. He snaps it, and I was also like, "That's how you kill someone too." <laughs> yeah, it's like there's there's very various ways. It's and the hound of, knows them all. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, there wasn't one of the Terminators where the Arnold's just casually glancing around to be like, you know, hit someone between the second and third vertebra, death is immediate. <laughs> Probably <laughs> rip the heart. There's lots of different ways to kill a person. Sure, but he swatted him like a fly. Then it's just basically two-on-one, and Arya shows how she's learned a lesson. It's interesting that uh, this guy wasn't on her list because she didn't know his name. He stupidly yeah. filled that in. Dumbass. And, well, I don't think he was talking his way out of this particular pit. <laughs> yeah, probably uh, not. To borrow a Samuel Jackson-ism. But uh, he got uh, – she, she demonstrated she did learn a lesson about where the heart is. Ran him right through. Yeah. Uh, Rangers are returning – uh, if we go north to the wall, we see uh, John and his buddies that just got back from the sack of a Craster's Keep. Uh, gets in and has a fairly warm welcome by the brothers until Sir Alistair comes down t- with his Ugh. his uh, wet blanket and casts it over the whole yard. <laughs> tells him to lock up Ghost. Uh, they have an impromptu meeting of all the brothers where John's saying, look, these guys are close. We saw their campfires from Craster's Keep. Uh, they'll reach the wall before the next full moon, which who the hell knows when that is, but it's less that implies it's less than four weeks away. Okay. And he wants to seal up the tunnel. Yeah, which I, I think is a fairly smart move. And it's something it's kind of like a last resort type of deal. Um, but you think, you know, you fill that thing full of rocks and rubble and pour buckets of water over it, and it's going to become basically as impenetrable as any other part of the wall is. Isn't that how they built the wall? No one knows how they built the wall. Really? Okay. Uh, some people implied that there's, like, some magic involved. Oh. Some people implied that it a just... A potion or two, huh? Some Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I think that they, he had, like, a green crystal... Uh, and he threw it, <laughs> and then the thing just fucking popped out of the ground. Uh-huh. Jor-El, uh huh. Jor El Mormon, Kal El the Builder. Yeah, eight thousand years ago, uh, did all that. Gotcha. Uh, but uh, 
Sir Alistair is basically saying, fuck all that. He turns it to the first builder. But really, a lot of people, I don't know. There was some talk on Reddit how Sir Alistair wasn't really being that big of an asshole. He was following proper procedure. I don't think so. When he no, called he's on intimidating that... the guy into into bending to his will. Yes, yes. That's the way like, I What do you that. think, first builder? Right, as he's grabbing his sword. Yeah. yeah. The ranger's asking to Builder, the guy <laughs> to play the Lincoln Logs, what he thinks about sealing the tunnel. And clearly the first builder thinks it's a good idea, but he's too afraid to, to say it. It seemed like all the brothers thought it was a good idea. They'd yeah. rather have a couple hundred feet of ice and rubble between them and the Wildings, which we'll talk about a little bit because uh, we got some feedback on strategy. Okay. Uh, and Jon Snow's like, look, I know you're proud of those four-inch thick steel bars, or iron bars. Rolled, cold, cold rolled steel. Cold rolled steel. Just like their oats. <laughs> Just like the what? <laughs> their oats. Their oatmeal. What? <laughs> Never mind. Are you talking about steel-cut oatmeal? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I hope the bars are not made of that. <laughs> uh, he's like, look, uh, I know you haven't met him yet, but those giants will tear through that, like, so much. I don't know. Four inches of steel is still pretty thick. It is, but those giants are big, man. Do you think you could, they could really yank us that, that big of a, what do you call that, portcullis? portcullis Probably. Right out of the ground? Why not? Sure. It should be an interesting, it should be interesting to see and then try, which is apparently what we're going to do. Yeah. Uh, going back to King's Landing, Tyrion receives the second of his third visitors. This is the ghost of Buddy's past, Bronn. Mm. He's really dressed like a lord now. Yeah. Uh, he's married Lollis Stokeworth, which apparently is a uh, girthy woman of slow wit. Mm-hmm. But uh, she's second in line for a castle and some lands there in the Crown Lands, and, and Bronn's excited about that. And uh, Tyrion tries to make a pitch about, hey, I could, might, maybe end up with Winterfell, and I can give you a big hunk, hunk of uh, baked Alaska pie. Mm-hmm. And Bronn's like, yeah, that's not an offer you would do. And they seem to part on good terms. What did you think? Yeah, they definitely did. Uh, uh, Bronn. Bronn is such a scoundrel, such a scumbag. He's willing to kill his new bride's sister to get the lands well, and the I castle. Don't. I don't. I mean, ladies fall off to horses all oh, the time, Jim. Oh, okay. I think he's just playing the percentages. Mm, I don't know about that. The 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 latest uh, that I saw in the Westerosi Health said seventy nine percent of highborn ladies fall off the horses and break their pretty necks. Jesus! So it's it's certainly an occupational hazard. They should probably stay off horses, I'd imagine, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe wear some elaborate type of neck brace. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I I really like the scene. Uh, it was weird to me a little bit that they parted on such good terms, but I think when Tyrion realized, look, Bronn just isn't going to do this for me, and Really, he has no reason to. He's he's a cutthroat sellsword. He's a scoundrel, and I, there's nothing in it for him. It, it makes a lot of sense that they that they parted the way that they did. Yeah, and more to the point, Tyrion wouldn't do it if it was going the other way. Sure, I'm fairly certain that. I mean, I know Tyrion wouldn't do it because Tyrion doesn't stand a chance of winning the combat at all. Right, right. But uh, I, I let me just put it this way: I think Tyrion, when they first met Bronn. Tyrion's gone through a lot of personal growth. Sure. Maybe he would if he thought he was physically able to make such a risk. But it's not, again, Bronn's like saying, it's like, this is not a sure thing. No. Mm-mm. I could beat him if I had to, but my God, if I make one mistake, it's all over for me. Yeah. What the hell? I don't know that Tyrion, and the thing is, is Bronn just hasn't changed. That's true. No. 
And, and I don't think he needs to. Bronze a... money, money overall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has been since the beginning. Land before bros or hoes. <laughs> so uh, they have a nice little bro shake there, and uh, that's into that scene. Then we see Dario. He's cl- he's apparently climbed up the side of the pyramid and into Danny's bedchambers mm-hmm. with a flowers that he swam a mile to get. Motherfucker's trying way too hard to to get <laughs> to get with Danny, in my opinion. And I don't know. I mean, the, I'm sure the gesture is appreciated. I don't know. This guy seems like he's sir needy as hell. Yeah, and okay. uh, I'm not just just not sure. My problem with this guy is that his smile is not wry enough. Like the old Dario had just the smile, this mischievous smile that you didn't know what the hell he was up to. He could have been up to no good or he could have been up to something awesome. This guy is just too too plain Jane. He's too me. nice. Yeah, He's Freddie, too Prin- nice. Freddie Prince Jr. Yep. And I don't I don't like that in my ruthless cell swords. No. I need a little bit more brawn in this guy, a little bit more Euro trash. <laughs> But uh, he offers to do what he does best, which is fucking and killing, and pours a glass of wine, but she still looks thirsty, Jim. She mm. uh, looks him up and down and says, yeah, I'm going to climb that like a tree. One thing leads <laughs> to another. He eventually gets to do both of the things that he's good at. <laughs> Moving on to Dragonstone, Lady Selyse, which is Stannis' wife, comes in for some sex position with Melisandre. Mm. Yeah. Uh, lots of naked Melisandre on display. Can't say I'm unhappy about that. Lies are sometimes useful. <laughs> Titties always make the exposition go down smooth. <laughs> Isn't that the lesson in... Uh... <laughs> Fuck, what is that movie? I don't know. I can't read your mind. <laughs> what am I, brand? The Chimney Sweep movie. Uh... <laughs> Mary Poppins? Mary Poppins, yeah. Spoonful of titties oh, make the medicine go down. The of course, of course. Uh, I don't know. Uh, may, maybe she cleans your chimney too. No, want to make it real filthy. Whoa, Christ, Jim! What have we become? Uh, anyway, lies can lead to the truth, uh, but she says Lady Celise does not need those lies. She's strong enough to look right in the fire, and behold, we're going to need to take your daughter with us. Oh, of course. Because she's going to be sacrificed. The Lord That's my needs guess. Her. That's your guess? Yep. The Lord needs her. She's going to be sacrificed. Yeah. Uh, seems like it'd be some rough stuff. Sure. Mildly interesting uh, take, to be sure, Jim. I don't think there's a lot more to talk about this. Um, there's Well, there, there's a lot of stuff with the potions. Um, oh, yes. But yeah. That's... We can talk about her different potions. Now, the smoke monster potion. Is that a smoke monster, or is that just dark black smoke that scares people? Well, it killed a man. I don't I don't feel like that was the potion. I feel like that was like the potion is one thing and her magic is another thing. Yeah, because we also know that um Thoris of Mir, who's the red priest with the Brotherhood, he legitimately brought back Beric Dondarrion from the dead. Yes. That's if it's a potion or if it's a powder, it fucking works. It's not just smoke and mirrors. Yes. So, so it makes me wonder if they're not two separate things, magic versus the illusions of these potions that she was talking about. Yeah, and so the, sh- the shadow vagina is real, mm-hmm. but it seems like there's cost to that. Uh, it's not something that she can, you know, you're talking about limits. It's, I don't think she can birth a 10,000 warrior strong shadow army. <laughs> 
if you know without some transvaginal mesh and stapling involved. Uh-huh, sure. But there's, there seems to be some cost in, in blood. You know, there's like some genuine blood magic that that has that costs both the wielder of the magic and the giver. You know, sometimes okay. people's lives. So I think there is some limits to that, which is explains why she does the other stuff. The you know, yeah. Like the, his sword being on fire seemed like it was one of those tricks. Yeah. And uh, maybe some of the other stuff, when you see the people's souls escaping, uh, that Lady Salise thought she saw, maybe that was also tricks. Yeah, and I also wonder how much she's just playing this off as these are tricks, when in fact they're not actually just illusions, like she says. They're, they're actually magic. I don't know. That's, that could potentially be mildly interesting as well. Uh, so they are setting sail. Do you where do you, where do you think they're going? I'm just doing a doing a knowledge check on you. Who's setting sail here? They said well, when we set sail, they're talking about oh, Melisandre and Stannis and everybody. Uh, where's their destination? Well, I assume Stannis has his army now because we kind of saw that, or his his boats and everything he needs. Uh, probably headed towards King's Landing. Just a full out attack, right? Nope. No, damn it. <laughs> Re- recall where what what their goal was last season uh when they got the the letters from Master Aemon Aemon that sent from the wall saying that hey, we're getting fucked over by the white walkers and wildlings and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And Davos said that you know, true king, the true king of the realm needs to protect the realm. Hmm. And Melisandre said, "Yep, yeah, we got to get up there." So Head north? They're heading. That's 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 the guess. Okay, do you got anything else before we move on back across the narrow sea? Uh, yeah. Marine. One more thing. Um, there's a kind of a weird shot in this scene when she's explaining the potions, and she gets to the one that is the seduction potion. And mm. Stannis' wife asks if she used that on Stannis. And there's this <laughs> shot that pans down her body, uh-huh. like Melisandre's naked body. And I, is that POV of Stannis' wife? That's what I, why I like, took it Like, looking at this woman and saying, does she need it? Like, did she use it? Yeah. What's she got that I don't have? Well, charisma Bes- for one. Yeah, besides a drop of passion, <laughs> rock-hard body. Yeah. Nipples you could cut glass with. So, I, I, I don't know. Was that supposed to be, like... Lack of a unibrow. It, it just seemed like a weird shot to me. No mustache. <laughs> I could probably go on. Probably. But uh, let's move on instead across the narrow sea where Dario has made Daenerys have a, or be in a very good mood this morning for Sir Jorah to get. Uh, apparently, he has an early morning meeting with her. Mm-hmm. He is happy to find out that Dario is being sent to retake young Kai with his second sons because that's going to get him out, out of uh, Danny's clutches, mm-hmm. out between Danny's thighs. <laughs> and uh, Dario, also quicker than you'd think for a man of his size. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that could be insulting <laughs> on so many levels. Yep. Anyway, um, but he's less pleased to hear that she's going to have all the masters put to the sword. Yeah, she seems to have learned nothing from the quote-unquote lesson she should have picked up uh, last episode with Hisdar. Surprising. So they have in yet another debate about justice versus mercy. He apparently does better than Barristan, which kind of makes sense because he said, you know, I was a slaver. Yeah. Technically, you haven't forgotten that, right? She goes, like, yeah, but now you're helping me. He's like, but if Ned Stark had done 
what you're doing to the masters, I wouldn't be. Yeah, he jujitsus her into a logical corner that she can't get out of. And it forces her to realize, yeah, maybe I'm not doing the right thing here. So then she's going to send Hildalgo Zolorak over as an ambassador Mm -hmm. and offer them terms that they can live in my new world or die in their old one. The problem with this is it seems like unless she's going to leave the Second Sons there as a garrison, which didn't seem like it thrilled Dario. Like, Dario wants to fuck shit up and kill people. Or he wants to be having sex with Danny. Either one is fine with him. Sure. But if he can't do either, it seems like he's going to get restless and bored. Mm -hmm. I don't buy that. I feel like he's just as happy taking a nap. (laughs) <laughs> this particular version uh-huh. of Dario, but whatever. You got to go with what the canon's telling you. Uh, and she says, uh, hey, uh, I want to I incite jealousy further within my ranks, so go down and tell Dario that you changed my mind <laughs> and order him around like a bitch. Yeah, specifically that you changed my mind. This is a bad idea, right? It seems like, I don't know. It's Again, strange because Danny also says that she doesn't trust this guy who she just slept with the previous night. Yeah, you can sleep with people you don't trust. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, I don't know. That's awfully intimate with somebody you uh, don't trust. Make sure you have a form of birth control under your control if you're doing mm, that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and and some sort of uh, barrier. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you know, go ahead. Sex them up. What – you had a question when we were watching yesterday. Yeah. Where the fuck are the dragons staying? They're that, obviously not staying inside this pyramid with her. No, they're nowhere in the bedroom. <laughs> they're off in the corner just watching like dogs, yeah, you know? Lurking, watching while Dario and her got down. That's that's always the weird thing about pets, man. Like, do you kick them out of the bedroom? Do, you just, <laughs> do they sit there and just watch you? If, sure. If you've cut their nuts off or, or spayed them, that's even weirder because it's like, mm. you know, ha ha, look at what we're doing. You can't do this. It's like if you got Varys in a room and started boning. Yeah, just bone right in front of him. That's disrespectful. I think that's so, That's not yeah. something you'd do if you love someone. Nope. Uh, so, no, I don't think the dragons are just off, off, off scene roasting. Where are things. they? I, that's a good question. Where Would you care to speculate? It seems like they're just I, rampaging the countryside, and Danny's buying off victims. You know, it's like, it, oh, you that's got, what it seemed like to me. Your yeah. flock got killed. You lost a cow. You lost yours three times of gold, and yeah. everybody's happy with that arrangement. That gold's gonna run out fast. Yeah, there's hundreds of flocks being devastated on a daily <laughs> basis. <laughs> wow, hundreds of they're they're having to make the form the claim form longer and longer because it's just amazing <laughs> how much flock is being lost. The number of goat bones they have bought. For three times market value. The estimated goat population in Essos was like 1.2 million. Three million goats have already been lost. It's <laughs> it's it's borderline miraculous, Jim. I can't figure goats it out. Goats have been born and killed. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the goats, it's evolution. They're getting pre- predated by these predators. They, they up their production. Sure. It's the only thing you can do. Uh, so let's move on back to the Arya and Hound Roadshow. He's trying to stitch up this vicious looking bite looks horrible and Arya said hey uh we need to burn this out with a hot flaming stick it apparently didn't occur to her that we could heat up a dagger (laughs) and brand you without you know catching your beard and hair on on fire his greasy hair is gonna go up like a house of cards man yeah and and (laughs) with you you pointed out something else that he's got Really weird body hair. Oh, my God. His chest hair literally, and I've never seen this, literally connects to his beard. 
Yes. Like there's one unbroken trail uh-huh. from his nose down to his genitals and I mean, God knows where else. It's the top of his head. It comes down one of his sideburns anyway. That's true. All the way from the top of his head down to probably his toes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the hound's hairy toes. Uh, but there's also a, a division between the type of hair. Because you've got the nice, the, the, the strong beard hairs. Yes. And then somewhere along that trail, it turns into this curly, uh, wispy kind of chest hair. I've never it's seen freakish. in one man such a contrast of thick, robust, yet patchy hair. <laughs> it's like there's just tufts of warthog thick hair uh-huh. and then relatively barren desert. And yeah. then another, it's, it, it is, it's like a desert. There's an oasis of hair to sprout up, <laughs> angry, out of this man's body. But uh, let's, yep. let, let's, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm, no, I'm no one to talk. Um, but uh, we also have a little nice backstory between uh, the Hound. We've heard this story before, Littlefinger told it to Sansa during the uh, tourney of the Hound, mm-hmm. where he, the older... Uh, Clegane brother, the mountain, pushed the hound's face onto a brazier when he thought he stole a toy. Yeah. And tragically, his father covered up this crime and protected the older boy from any kind of punishment at the expense of the younger. And this has left a permanent scar in more than one way on the hound's body and his psyche. It might have been the case that the father covered it up because the mountain was just bigger than the dad. Probably could have taken Shit, it, yeah. even he was at six afraid. years old. Yeah, he was afraid. <laughs> he was physically intimidated into that. You know, I never, never thought of that. <laughs> I don't know, know if that's the case. No, but... you got like a thirteen-year-old the mountain. He's already like six foot five. Yeah, weighing three hundred pounds. <laughs> You're going to send him to his room <laughs> without dinner, right? Yeah. Uh, but then it seems like Arya softens up to her, and uh, or softens up to him rather, and offers to help stitch up that nasty, nasty wound. Mm-hmm. Although washing it out with her backwash, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, where do you think this plot is headed, Jim? Oh boy, where is this plot headed? Well, I assume they're going to eventually make it to uh, wherever the hell they're going. They're going to where Eliza flew, right? Mm-hmm. So I assume they're eventually going to make it there. Although, I don't know, because the Hound seems really disheartened after finding out that there's a price on his head. Right. He's, he's... like, oh my god, you've turned me into a walking bag of silver. Right. A uh, hundred stags worth. Uh, maybe he abandons his mission. It doesn't seem like the danger is worth the reward at this point for him. And it's not like he can d- wear a disguise. No. He's the second biggest man in Westeros. Uh-huh. So people are not going to be like, oh, look at that big fucker. I bet he's not the hound. Sure, he's not going to, you know, get a wig and cover up his face. and Right. Well, I mean, he could, <laughs> but again. This is not the Americans. Right, it'd be like Brienne trying to go undercover. I mean, yeah. are you going to go undercover as the Hound? Because that's the only <laughs> other possible thing you could pretend to be when you're 6'4", six, 6'5", six, in this world. Yeah, true. Uh, so, uh, anything else to say about this, or should we move on? Uh, let's go. All right, speaking of Brienne, she's uh, in, an, in the end of the crossroads, I believe, is where they're supposed to be at. Which has been, we've seen several different times in the series. She's urging Pod not to get drunk. They're eating kidney pie. <laughs> we got a surprise appearance from Hot Pie. Did not see him coming. Did not call that we'd ever see his rotund face again. No, neither did I. And he likes to expound upon 
the fine art <laughs> of making a kidney pie. God, when he turns that chair around and sits down, <sighs> the expression on Podrick's face is and classic. Brienne's. Yeah, both of them. They're just like, is he really going to sit down and talk about this kidney pie? Right. No, and it, it's funny because I saw her make that face at me when I interviewed her. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Because I asked her about feminism in the works of Georgia R. Martin, and she looked at me as if I had grown a second head and she might want to cut one off. <laughs> and at first I thought it's like I just offended her a principle. It turns out that recently she had had her words on that very subject twisted in a magazine art of you, and she had had thousands of people email her hate mail about it. Wow, yeah. So she just had her guard fully up. Mm-hmm. Uh, intimidating woman. Sure. She's... <laughs> much much taller than me and just i mean she's also it's not just that she's just extremely intense and intelligent and yeah 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 i was, I was very impressed by her on that panel yeah i i wanted to I, I was very nervous about where it would go but then she she ripped off one of the most eloquent and i i keep hoping that they'll release the video so i can excerpt it because i get asked on a fairly recent basis or fairly regular basis how i you know, whether George R. R. Martin's works is misogynist or whether they're feminist. And I think she gave mm-hmm. a really good answer. And I can't even really paraphrase it, but hopefully they'll get that up before the season's over. Anyway, uh, she mentions he, he, in the conversation, it comes up that they are looking for Sansa from uh, the Starks of Winterhell. <laughs> yeah. And the Hot Pie's like, oh, them's all traitors. We don't truck with them there. But then when they get outside, Pod's like, I don't know if you should do that. And as he's saying this, Hot Pie comes up and spills his guts about Arya. It seemed like it worked out for in this case, but I am kind of with Podrick on this. Maybe you shouldn't be talking about searching for Sansa Stark in in this particular part of the country. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, I'm I'm with you and Podrick. I think it's more dangerous than it is beneficial, and she just really lucked out here. Mm-hmm. So Hot Pie gifts her with a uh, dire loaf, and uh, the second one, this one's a much better attempt at the, you know, putting the Stark's dire wolf to bread for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, they make off, and as they're walking, Pod tart starts talking about Lady Lysa in the Vale, and how that's her last living relative, and how she hates the Lannisters, and again, Brienne's seeing kind of the value not a traditional squire, but Tyrion gave the, is is she's benefiting greatly from the unorthodox squiring that Tyrion put forth. To sure, Padraic. he can't cook, he can't help her out with any of the chores that she needs to do on the road, but he knows a thing or two. So they literally take uh, the fork in the road, and they're going to the Vale. It seems. I mean, they don't right out say that, but it's heavily implied. Yeah, yeah. We go to the final visitor that Tyrion gets it's Oberyn mm-hmm. and this is just a great fantastic scene let's just talk about it what do you think Jim uh I love this scene I mean this is the best scene in the episode by far in my opinion now you not read the book so you didn't know how the speech was going what did you think when he started talking about the monster that was born to Tywin Lannister and Tyrion's kind of reaction to it uh I thought he was just being a dick right and I, in retrospect, I really love how they did that. It it both, you know, played with my emotions. It played with Tyrion's emotions to the point where when he finally does say, I'm going to be your champion, and you see, like, this just sigh of, not a sigh of relief. It's just like this overjoyed, 
but but muted reaction yeah. from Tyrion. It's it's like you can feel the emotion just coming out of him saying, "Thank God, someone yes. is stepping up. Yes. You just saved my life." And I think the connection was made before that. It's the I think the emotional climax was when. You know, they unveiled the monster, and he said, yeah. I, this is not a monster. This is just a baby. Yes. No but, red eye, no claw. But just the fact that there's nothing wrong with this kid. And the, and this further, you know, we've been talking about how these, the uh, Martells are the new Starks, the noble. And that these, yeah, yeah. They, they seem that people from Dorne are accepting of things outside the norm. And like, this is not a monster. This is not something to be reviled. This is just a baby. And the real monster was Cersei. Absolutely. Because yeah. Jesus Christ, grabbing a baby's <laughs> cock and making it scream just for hate's sake. Yeah. And so, again, if we go on a little bit of apology for Cersei, she's a young girl. Her mother just, mm-hmm. you know, this, this kid was killed her mother. And Tywin's obviously distraught about it. I don't know what a normal reaction would, would be to this if you're a child psychologist. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how how the age difference plays in here. Like how old is Oberyn versus how old is Cersei and Jamie and I, I mean I know Cersei and Jamie are twins, so right. they're obviously the same age, but how old is Tyrion? Right. Uh, I don't know because like, as compared to everyone. Everyone is so much younger than you think in the books. Okay. And everyone in the movie in in the movies, in the television shows, like I'm you know, Jamie's in his mid to late thirties it seems. I think mm-hmm. Prince Oberon is a little bit older than that. Uh, you know, Tyrion would be in his early thirties, I guess. Maybe okay. mid thirties. Yeah. So he. So Oberon might have been like ten at this point. Yeah. Maybe. Like you know, like I, I, I'm guessing that Cersei and Jamie were something like seven or eight, and yeah, that they'd okay. be ten, eleven, or whatever. So you might be able to excuse that a little bit more than if she were, you know, fifteen. But still, you know, it seems the other emotional payoff here is the Oberon seems to be extending Tyrion into, like, there's two spears in his mind, the Lannisters and everybody else. Uh-huh. He, and, and maybe he's done, has viewed him this way the whole time, but he kind of sees Tyrion as outside the Lannister spear. Yeah, we sphere. talked about that a little bit when they first met, mm-hmm. um, when, when Oberon came in from Dorne and... And Tyrion, and he told Tyrion that he was basically there to kill Tywin, right? <laughs> uh, and to avenge his sister's death. Uh, I felt like they connected a little bit there. Yeah, but then he, we grabbed his chin. I thought that that's, was that's, that, I, yeah. I agreed, but that was such a dick move. But now yeah, yeah. it's almost like a test. Hmm. Okay. Um, I reminded of the uh, that kind of terrible Will Smith movie, Seven Pounds, where um, he is. Giving away his organs, people. Spoiler alert. It's a terrible movie. I don't really care if you haven't seen it. It's five years ago. But he's doing things like, uh, you know, Woody Harrelson's a blind man, and he's considering giving him his corneas. And he works at a a call center, and he calls and is just a dick to this guy. Like, Mm -hmm. runs him down, finds finds out that he's blind, and just tries to push this guy to see if he can make him lose his temper or whatever. So Mm -hmm. I'm I'm wondering if there's a, a little bit of a situation like that where Oberon was basically seeing, are you really a Lannister? Because a Lannister wouldn't put up with this shit. Yeah. And wouldn't act like they're ashamed of their family. And he got that clear sense that Tyrion was, and then now we know that his history at the Lannisters goes back a long ways. I thought Absolutely. it was just all of that informing that one scene Yeah, with that story he told, to me, might be the best scene of this whole series, the whole season so far. It could be. I mean, it's hard to take anything away from 
Tyrion's uh, amazing scene at the trial. But uh, yeah, this one was certainly up there, and it was great. Uh, I I do want to go back and say we we might have sounded like we were cutting Cersei a little slack, yeah, saying yeah, that she's very right. young and that might be yeah. just a child's reaction. No, she clearly fucking hates Tyrion. And she's a horrible person for that. Yeah, she's she's not a horrible person because as a young girl she was resentful for her exactly. brother killing her mom. She's sure. a horrible person because she never grew out of that. <laughs> yes, there you go. And again, you could probably go about defense about the times and what you know that she's really a frustrated, strong female that's put in this role. But you know, yeah, you can say all that, but still, but hating your brother because he has a slightly large head and slightly small limbs. Yeah, that's not a cool thing. Yeah, and. Yeah, so, and again, Tyrion had a lot of legit reasons to hate her and to be vengeful for her, and he never did anything. Yeah. He's nothing done anything but try to protect the family and save her and save King's Landing. And she's just constantly picked at him. Yeah. For years and years and years. Well, we'll see if she improves. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We cut to the Eerie, and a surprisingly beautiful scene of Sansa in the snow uh, clearly thinking about Winterfell, and as the shitty Stark theme plays, she builds a replica of <laughs> of Winterhell. Uh huh. The uh, Robin, uh, Lord Lord of the Vale, Robin comes out stomping out and says, "Where's the Moon Door? You know, we got to have a Moon Door because else, how do you make the bad people fly?" Which yeah. And she's like looking at him like, "Okay, you got a little Joffrey in you, but maybe I can make this work to my advantage." Uh, until he clumsily pokes at the tower and ruins it. Now, I thought she was kind of joking with him at the because some people are like, well, she was kind of a spoiled brat dick to him. But I took it as she was joking, like she was smiling, like, oh, you've ruined it, now I'm going to have to start all over. And then he just went fucking ballistic, and she got angry because of that. I don't know. The first time I watched it, I thought that exact same thing. Really? The second time through... She kind of snaps at him when he does that. She doesn't say it in a tone that's joking. She says it like, you ruined it. Like, mm. harsher than she would have if she was joking, I think. You might... I I was looking at it the it's second borderline. time. It's borderline. It really yeah, is. Maybe it's, and maybe it's meant to be open for interpretation. Mm-hmm. So... You know the other thing that that replica was missing? What's that? The, the smoke, <laughs> the fire. Uh, it had too many towers, for one. I mean, yeah. all those towers are crumbled. Actually, Robin <laughs> might have made it more yeah. realistic. I think so. So, But uh, she decides to give in the back of her hand. Oh, thank God. Yeah, this is a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is maybe some anti-Joffrey medicine that's being administered. Anti-Joffrey medicine? Yeah, like if, if maybe if someone... Oh, as Littlefinger said, his mother should have done that a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. Tyrion started slapping him just too late. Yeah. <laughs> he started. He, he had hair in his balls by then, and, and the the evil and the rot had taken at the yeah. root. You gotta start slapping them when they're eight or nine. I mean, yeah. It's, it's too late once they're a teenager. Yeah, and again, that's like, you know, <laughs> don't hit your kids, people. Of course, of course. We, we live in a society with rules of law and a functional mostly justice system sure and you know i'm not gonna judge everybody's situation but you know don't don't hit your kids but if you live in a medieval if, a medieval era uh if you got a child fantasy world yes. and uh, your child's being a shit go ahead and smack him especially that's a child that's been <laughs> raised by a crazy lady breastfed till he's oh, seven or eight and God. indulged in homicidal tendencies you might need to beat some ass sure 
you might need to beat some ass until you can get back to that baseline that we're used to living in our in our Western civilizations. That's all I'm saying. No, you're uh, you're right on. If your kid wants to chuck someone out of the Sears Tower, <laughs> you might need to beat their ass a little. I'm just saying. You've done something wrong, and it's going to take cr- severe corrective action to get them back to the side of non-homicidal people. Didn't Robin even suggest that Sansa might get thrown out? No, well, see, I thought door? that too. And, and it's kind of funny how they play that scene because he's like, you know, I can make anyone annoys me. And you too. I think he meant oh, who annoys, annoys you, you as well. well. Okay. Because you're with me. You know, you're rolling with me. We're cool. Gotcha. All right. So uh, Sansa, after she does that, starts thinking like, oh, God, I'm shitting my pants here. I just hit this guy. My aunt's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Peter comes and says, no, nah, don't worry about it. I'm going to handle your aunt. And she's asked him straight up, why did you kill Joffrey, really? And he had this kind of beautiful response of in a perfect world where love and you know beauty trumped duty and, and strength. Uh, you might have been my child, and what do we do to those that hurt the ones we love? And Sansa was like all smiling about that. But then he said, uh, you don't, we don't live in that world, and uh, open mouth kisses her. Yep. Which clearly... And and while he's doing it's long enough that the camera could pan up and see Lady Liza mm-hmm. outraged and then pan back and hang for another beat. Sansa is uh, basically is her reaction. Uh-huh. Like, Which is always her reaction to anything that happens. Well, I mean it's the safe like just just shocked. You you you're probably not I mean that's a safe reaction to have. It's a nice neutral reaction. She's not going to sure. slap the guy. Um you know she, this is no Robin you can just slap around. Sure. So she's just, you know, going to have a shocked reaction. And uh, what did, so, you know, we've debated about how, what kind of feelings he has for Sansa. Mm -hmm. It's extra creepy when he acknowledges that you're kind of like a daughter to me. Give daddy a kiss. (laughs) Oh, God. There's no ambiguity about how he feels about her at this point. No, certainly there's not. She's a cat, a cat stark surrogate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that she's in a, itself is creepy. She's a better-looking Cat Stark uh, real doll at this point to him. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, it's it's really weird. I, I felt like maybe, you know, when he talks about the world that in an ideal world um, and how she could have been his daughter, he then clearly says, but you're not. Mm-hmm. So I mean that makes it you know slightly less creepy, <laughs> right? That that he goes into this not thinking, like, I mean it's still twisted in that he loved this woman and now here's her daughter and those feelings have kind of transferred to her. Sure. But it, I mean it's not super creepy, right? I mean she's like fifteen too. In the series, she is. I, how old do you think she fucking is? I, she looks older than that. Seri- well, I mean, yeah. in real life, she's 18. Okay, I could buy that in the show but, as well. Uh, no, I think she was just on the cusp of being... Like, she hadn't gotten her moon's blood until, like, t- t- last season, two seasons ago. But, yeah, but how many years ago is that in show terms? Well, I have no we don't idea. Know, but yeah. it, has, it wasn't five. No, I mean, so no. I, I think she's, she, like, somewhere in this between world, 13 to 15. Okay, so you're, in this you're world, taking the moral relativist. Yes, note. because, I mean, look at her as compared to some of the the grandchildren that 
uh, (laughs) that the Red Wedding guy was trying to pawn off on Rob, right? I get it. I mean, there were like eight-year-olds in there. That's fucked up. Are you styling Lord Walter Frey as your moral authority? (laughs) You're walking on really thin ice here, Jim. I'm just saying in this world, it is not uncommon for a girl. You're dancing on the the doorstep of the moon door, I feel like, with the audience. (laughs) This is some treacherous shit I'm I'm hearing. I'm in Peter Baelish's arms on the (laughs) precipice of the moon door. Uh, I'm just saying it's, yeah, it's relative, you know? Okay. Uh, speak, let's, let's Still creepy. On. I'm not, I'm not arguing that, but. Speaking of relatives, she gets yeah. summoned by her aunt to the <laughs> moon door. Nothing good can come up here. Uh-uh. Someone's going to get chucked through here. Sure. And it turns out, initially maybe Sansa, but Peter saves the day and shoves out Lysa. Yeah. Long time coming for that, too. And was it somewhat surprising that Lysa got, got – I mean, obviously, when we got to this scene, not. But yeah, I no. didn't hear you mention her as a possibility of someone getting thrown out. No, no. I mean, earlier, you know, it seemed like Peter Baelish was trying to manipulate her into getting what he wanted up there. So why would he why, – why would she go out the moon door? Um, but, one, yeah, once we got to this scene, it made perfect sense. I think there's a natural question to be asked here. What the hell is Peter Baelish going to do? Yeah. Lady, Lady, Lady Lysa, crazy wet nurse that she is, mm-hmm. is also the Lord Regent or whatever the hell you would call of the Vale, and her son is the ruler. Mm-hmm. What you know? How how is this explained? So, yeah, I mean, what do they tell the kid for one? They don't have to tell him that his mother was thrown out the moon door by Baelish, mm-hmm. and they probably won't. Uh, I'm wondering if Robin goes out the moon door as well, but then where does that leave you as far as leadership up in the Vale? Uh, does does Baelish just like take over that post? Are people going to listen to him? Can he command the well? I just want armies. Like I want to bring to your attention in season one, Lady mm-hmm. Lysa had an army, almost a literal army. They had arms and swords and shit, sure, and armor of suitors wanting to court her because again anyone that couples up with her lord of the veil yeah what do you think that they think about this up jumped lordling coming and you know basically leapfrogging them Mm. and uh, getting her hand it's a tricky political situation it really is yeah um so maybe he needs to keep robin around as a a shield you think that'll be sufficient I don't know. I don't know. You seem to be leading me. I'm uh, trying leading not. the witness here. I'm trying. Not. I'm just trying to bring your attention to facts and evidence. You're your right. Honor. You're right. People don't like. Uh, I'm sure people don't like Baelish up there very much. All right. Well, if you think you're being led, then let's uh, back uh, creep away. I want to give you okay. an example of how fucking crazy book people are. <laughs> what? They're Th- crazy. This scene was incredibly faithful to the book. In the book, he doesn't say your sister. In response, he says only cat. I've only loved everyone, only cat. People lost their fucking minds. What the fuck is the difference? I don't know. (laughs) People are like, the line's just better. They ruined the scene. No, no, they didn't ruin the scene. I'm telling you. It's like, only cat, conceivably, it maybe does sound better in, in, in 
for example, like if you're watching the Terminator and they change I'll be back to I shall return, <laughs> it's not quite as pithy. It doesn't have quite the finely sharp point to it. Okay. But to say that it ruins the scene slash series, I, I mean, I don't I don't know what to tell people. I, I hope that our listeners are not book readers of that ilk because I just I, – I don't understand that, especially since this isn't the defining – no one cites this as their favorite point of the book. Mm, yeah. So it's like they got they, and, and I think the reason, if I speculate that they changed, is that they're not trusting the viewers uh, to know who Cat, Catelyn Stark is, or Cat, you know, her nickname. Really? No, I mean you've got a lot of people running around calling you know Daenerys Khaleesi. Uh huh. Like if they said only Cat, people would be like, who the hell is Cat? I think that they're you know not a huge percentage, but you know okay. they've 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 changed stuff to re- uh, reduce the ambiguity because you get cast of fifty sixty main characters. This is the kind of stuff that happens. Sure, I just yeah. was very surprised uh, to see so many people uh, again losing their minds. I, as, I was fairly proud of the book readers for the, uh, the way they handled the White Walker action mm. north of the wall and yeah, yeah. i was surprised at how muted the reaction was that but yeah people people were really up in arms about the only cat stuff there was like a 1500 reply thread on reddit yeah and i saw like articles being written about it like immediately after our instant cast i, I was on twitter and people were posting articles i'm like what the fuck who cares about one line in the yeah in a scene yeah I, again we're we're a show first podcast i mean unless he had said lord varish or something in the yeah. book i mean then okay <laughs> right right or lord varish I, yeah it's like uh, that's silly right so again we're a show first podcast so i mean it has to be a pretty strong deviation from the book that then has to bear fruit of a much worse outcome mm. from the books like they can deviate from the books as long as the material change is better like, for example, Arya being the cupbearer for Lord uh, Tywin in season two. In the books, that was Roose Bolton. Yeah. I don't think anyone would argue that that was a worse change. Hmm. And it was a very nice economical reducing of what's going on at Hall. But, you know, a change like this, it means the same thing. If it's yeah. if, it, if it's not quite as smooth coming off your tongue, who, and, who gives a and shit? And if no one had pointed it out on the internet, would you have even remembered no, I was did. different because did? I was I was I was looking forward to the scene. It's not my favorite, but I was looking forward to this moment because that's the thing. There's like in my mind, there are several highlights of the show. Okay, and that was. And one. I like to see when everything goes like one to one resolution. This is the thing in my mind, and I'm going to see it on the screen and, okay. and see how it pans out. So I did get a little bit of dissonance there, but not to where I'd take to the internet and be like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> so, all right, let us. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I, although I got to say, I don't think this is the way to win over Sansa, to throw this woman out the moon door. I mean, yeah, he was kind of protecting her, but at the same time, it's like, well, Baelish just threw a woman out the moon door uh, with very little provocation. I don't. I don't know if Sansa is going to take kindly to that. Uh, okay, Lord Frey, uh, what would be <laughs> provocation uh, equal? I mean, the thing is, so I'll play devil's advocate here. Lady Lysa is crazy. Mm-hmm. Lord Baelish obviously has some designs on Sansa. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a spoiler to say that he's he's he got those feelings and he wants to be able to maybe act on those creepy feelings. Sure, she's the barrier, and and it's not like barrier as in she was just going to be bitchy about it or say catty remarks or try to stuff her full of lemon cakes. Okay, <laughs> okay, she was like going yeah. from zero to fly. My yeah, pretties yeah. fly. There's not much you can do to work with that. That's true. That's true. She she's crazy, obviously. So I and and now Sansa's reaction. That's a very interesting point. Uh, what she will think, uh, I don't know. I mean, you have to ask. Lord Baelish is probably the first person since I don't know her father that tried to protect her in a way that wasn't frightening, like the Hound protected her, but she mm. was scared shitless of the Hound. Sir Dauntus yeah. did, but it turns out that that was just the cat's paw of Peter Baelish. I don't know. It depends on what you think, what lessons you think she's learning from watching him play the Game of Thrones hmm. and what direction you think her character will take. Yeah, and I'm still unsure about that. I mean, her character so far has just been one of mostly floating through this world while things happen around her. Yeah, you mentioned that when we were watching it. You said, what has she done? And Basically one thing. She betrayed her father to Queen Cersei, Mm -hmm. which arguably, maybe just as much as Littlefinger, led to this whole mess happening. In fact, that's the one thing Mm -hmm. that Littlefinger didn't have under control. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, But since then, things have happened to her, and we've seen her getting stronger... But she hasn't yeah. been able to have an outlet for that strength. She hasn't done anything since then. Right. She's definitely... And the, the most interesting thing she's done since then is saved Dantos' life. Right. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's that's it. But that is very, very minor in the scheme of things. Indeed. So her she's she's been through this crucible role where she's being forged to something we don't know what. Yeah, I feel like she's finally starting to turn into a character (laughs) right um okay so let's move on for a little bit of pimping here hover has graciously agreed to sponsor the remainder of our season and i'm here to tell you about them great ideas are just that until you decide to do something about it bald move why it was just a glimmer in gemini's eye until we made it real and our literal first step to making that happen was to register baldmove.com You want something catchy. You want something memorable to represent your online identity. Hover gives you exactly what you need to get the job done, helping you find the perfect domain for your idea so you can get started working on making it real. And hey, you don't have to be an expert to get one. If you're a first-timer, you'll love Hover too. The service is simple enough to use that you'll be comfortable figuring out yourself, and a support team is always ready to give you a hand with their no-wait, no-hold, no transfer phone service. Do you realize how rare that is in a tech company? Oh, my God. Best of all, if you use our exclusive Bald Move promo code, Mockingbird, you can get 10% off your first order. So jump on it. Do you love our podcast? Do we brighten your week? Please consider supporting us. Go to baldmove.com and click support to find out the many ways, many of which are at no cost to you, that you can help us create content and grow our network. And while you're there, check out our other affiliates, Personal Arrogance, The Picasso Show, Up Yours Downstairs. We are ready and willing to drown you in content. All right, let's get on the feedback. We got a little bit of feedback from last week. Tyler W. said, totally called it. Fuck, Mary kill, Lady Liza. 
Steve Miller's Fly Like an Eagle should have been the outro song over the credits. <laughs> uh, can't disagree Wait, with that. I'm assuming Kill is Lady Liza. Who's Fuck Mary? He said that, that that was a he made a joke last week that that's the first person that you could answer all those questions. Oh, one. Okay. Uh, well, he no, did. I... Lord Baelish fuck, married, and now killed. Yeah, yeah. Lord Baelish could answer that way. I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, whatever, Lord Frey. Moving on to Xavier C. Am I the only one who sees similarities between Reek and the common unsullied? Ramsey has put Theon, a prideful and arrogant man, through a very torturous process, turning him into Reek, an obedient and submissive pet, who has been castrated and giving a filth-related name, much mm. like unsullied. Not really very tough, though. <laughs> Obviously, the slavers in Essos have gotten the process down to a T, producing a fearless and ruthless slave soldier. But I see Reek as Ramsey's personal amateur homemade Westerosi unsullied. Lots okay. of implications in that email. What do you think, Jim? Well, he's got a mission for him. He's going to send him out uh, to pretend to be Theon. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's becoming a soldier in a certain type of light. He's doing Ramsey's deeds, of course. Uh, he's definitely been mentally conditioned to be fanatically loyal. Yes. So we will move on. Jamie T says, why doesn't everyone uh, request quiet by, that trial by combat? Oh, sorry. You got dry pied there, Jamie. We actually, that was one of the emails that led me to consider that up front. So thanks for bringing that up, though. Robert C., I'm having a problem with how Shoshay's is... Who? Shoshay. The Shoshay Redemption. Who the fuck is Shoshay? The show, as opposed to the book version of the character Shay. Oh, okay. Shoshay and her redemption. It's going to involve her climb, crawling through 300 meters of... King's Landing shit uh, shit pipes. Never mind. Let's, apparently, I've, I've, I've mined yet another pop culture gap in your consciousness. Uh, I'm I'm just blown away that you're you're spoiling me here as to the fact that there's going to be a redemption for Shay. No, I'm making a joke about the Shawshank oh. redemption, the show oh, Shay Jesus, redemption. Okay. Boom. Let's move on. Uh, I'm uh, having a problem with how show character <laughs> Shay. Uh-huh. is betraying Sansa Stark so readily. They always made such a point of Shay being loyal to Sansa. Now she turns on back not only on Tyrion, but Sansa too. Just to get back at Tyrion? That seems unreal to me. Where? What did the Lannisters mm. Tywin promise her? A ladyship, perhaps? What do you think of that take, Jim? Promised her she can keep her head, probably. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I just think she was a lover spurned by Tyrion, and she got angry about it. And she did some things that she will probably regret. Yeah, I mean, her character to me is defined by a little bit of shallowness, yep. a lot of insecurity, and quite a bit of hot temper. Which, sure. Or passion. You know, that can go both ways. Yeah. And I feel like in this version of the character that it's, you know, that just is another indication of uh, all those attributes. And I don't have a problem with it. Justin in California says, I think you guys missed something when you're discussing how much Shay actually lied. I think she lied more than you guys think. I think an even bigger lie, she implied that everything she did was only because he told her to. Oh, well, yeah, that's actually a really good point. I think a huge lie was the outright lie that she he ordered her to call him my lion. As far as I can remember, I don't think she's ever ordered to say that. There's a pet name she used for him all on her own. She used, acknowledged, or used that knowledge to hurt him even more. I don't think that's a bigger lie than saying she the, they plotted to kill the king. Well, I think <laughs> what he's saying is that's not the only lie, and I think you're Certainly. right. But yeah. I, when I say lie, 
I meant more in just concrete factual evidence, like her accounting yeah, yeah. of what happened, ignoring her emotional motivations behind it. Everything she said was true. The mm-hmm. events. Now, when she said things like he forced me or I had to do this or I had to do that, that's where, yeah, all that was, was twisted into a lie. Sure. But the actual physical events that she described transpired. I guess that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, everything except the plotting. Uh, Tack L. We're going to play the name game okay. with our friend Tack L. Uh, Mockingbirds. They're great at singing songs and telling little lies. Cue the Fleetwood Mac song and convincing others. Number one, Cersei de Braun convinced Braun to not fight the mountain. Okay. Melisandre de Solis. I have a bad feeling about Shireen. So is, is that to imply that it's a lie that Braun is going to get what Cersei promised him? Uh, singing no. songs and telling lies. Well, is singing, that... he's, 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 <laughs> he has greatly increased the... Um, what what would what would be called the, what's in the mockingbird wheelhouse it's not just singing okay. songs or imitating things it's now apparently telling lies and convincing others so if you if you have to buy that premise for the rest of the stuff to work now you're saying bullshit on all those premises you're a <laughs> fucking mockingbird tackle i think is what you're getting at. no I'm not. pretty harsh i wouldn't treat her i'm not i was way. just asking exactly how that applies uh so no i don't think he's because is cersei actually going to give him you know the the marriage to whatever that girl's name is and yes, potentially yeah. the castle. Okay. Yeah. I mean, my God, it'd be kind of funny if she didn't. Cause then we could have like a, a kill Cersei style revenge epic where Braun <laughs> takes down the entire Lannister family. And no, I, for one, be, I for one would be, I for one would be down for that. That'd be cool. I think Oberyn's going to fill that role though. But I mean, cause this costs Cersei nothing. Mm-hmm. She's giving him a big, a, a, a castle and tracts of land and a half witted woman that no one else wants to marry. Yeah, huge for a sellsword hedge knight. Huge increase in power, but for Cersei, that's like giving him a plug nickel. You know. Yep. Uh, Milsander to Salise uh, in the discussion about lies and what they're doing to Shireen. Tywin to Oberyn, but it backfired. Now Tywin is Ty- Tyrion's champion against the Mountain, which in his mind is killing two birds with one stone: revenge on the Mountain and humiliating the Lannisters. Jor the Danny. Convinced her to balance mercy with judgment and Littlefinger, expert level mockingbird. All I can say is as high as honor. That's the Tully's words. Uh, I don't know, man. This is more. This is more of a stretch. I think mockingbird sure. is basically. It's 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 about the, uh, and and Alan Seppenwall or maybe it was Andy Greenwald on Grantland had a really good take about this is his stepping outside the shadows moment. Mm. This is his. This yeah. is not cat's pawing. This is not plotting. I'm doing this direct action mm-hmm. and I, it's now time for me to put the chips in the middle of the table and see and, and show my cards and see what the other uh, opponents have. Jasmine G said the show, and I guess Germ has a certain affinity for putting two of its characters on road trips and letting them discover their commonalities and find new respect for one another. And it always seems to work. Even in the first season, when Cat Stark and Tyrion seemed so far apart after they were on an open road together, they came to an understanding, though shaky one. I had very little love for Jon Snow until his road trip with Ygritte, and now I actually look forward to scenes at the Wall. We've got Arya and the Hound, Brienne and Podrick, Brienne and Jaime. I'll throw in another one, Tyrion and Bronn. The list goes on. Yeah, that is a well-worn... Uh, what was I want to say? A trope with George Martin, and it does yeah. does seem to deliver the goods. 
It's also a way to like slow down the plot and get intimate where, mm-hmm. you know, go away from the big Game of Thrones and the plotting to just, you know, two people's relationship and what that says about the larger issues. Sheem says, Rorge and Biter are the dumbest bounty hunters ever. You have an opportunity to sneak up on the hound, and the best idea you come up with is to bite him on the neck? They could have <laughs> yeah. slit his One of th- them had a sword. Come on. They could have slit his throat or stabbed him in the back, but bite him on the neck, that was pretty dumb. Yes. I don't think they were intellectual heavyweights. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right about that. But Especially Biter. I don't even think he had speaking lines. I think he was like mm. a man beast. Like a, he has teeth filed to points for God's sake. That's not. That's not. <laughs> that ain't right. That's not a rational actor. <laughs> no. Jazz W says I am not a big fan of Melisandre and her fanaticism, and she was downright cruel to Stannis' wife, not getting dressed in front of the supposed queen, and then when she asked if the Red Witch had used the lust serum on her husband, no, she said. But what was left unsaid, but the wife and viewers heard loud and clear was I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. I have this rocking bod. Yep. This made me want to stab her in the heart. Unfortunately, she's downright gorgeous, so all I kept thinking is the line from Princess Bride, that's, there's a shortage of perfect breasts in this world. It'd be a pity to damage yours. Thoughts? Amen. Uh, man, I'll tell you what. It's, uh, this show is a delight to the senses. If you are a breast man or an ass man or an ass woman, in the case of the men, there's sure. all, all kinds, all shapes and sizes. You got the, from the Hodor... Slightly flabby, swinging a big stick of meat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you got you got pert A's. You got big full D, and they're all na- that's the other thing. Like all these bodies are natural. Uh, yeah. I have a slight question. Do you think Melisandre's boobs are real? Sure. I feel like she might have had some work done. If she, she did, it's only, really good work. Only actress that I've say. ever suspected that of of hmm. the, on this show. Maybe it's glamour. Maybe it's a potion. <laughs> there you go. It's not silicon. It's some kind of flash powder. Uh huh. <laughs> Tyler Tyler S says Robin isn't quite the shit he was in the book, so the slap wasn't quite as satisfying. Really? Mm, I thought he was a shit. I think he's a pretty big shit. I never read the books, but I thought he was a shit. Um, I thought there's an interesting parallel between Danny and the Dario scene this episode and the bathtub scene last season. In the bathtub scene, Danny gives Dario some full frontal, and he responds by staring into her eyes with his usual knowing grin. This week's scene, Dario gives Danny some full frontal, and her eyes go immediately to his package with a look of wanton lust. <laughs> Clearly, there's some Asian soups involved in this yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Danny is clearly objectifying men, and I, for one, am outraged. Uh, I think this is a little tongue-in-cheek. You're sure. allowed to objectify the person you're about to fuck, I'm pretty sure. I think so, yeah. That's part of the fun. If you're not, you why to, are you fucking them? You need to respect them afterwards. Sure. But while you're doing it, I mean, that if, you, if, if there's a right time to objectify someone, then that's, <laughs> that's the time to do it. I, yeah, I can get behind that. Uh, on to the hot naked redhead. <laughs> he segues from his outrage at her female gaze. <laughs> <laughs> while Danny asserted her power by commanding Dario to get naked, Melisandre asserted her power by walking around naked for 10 minutes and not giving a shit. Mm. She honey badgered that nudity. I have no idea where all this Shireen business is going. It would be interesting to see Melisandre somehow convince Stannis to burn Shireen. Yeah. I can also see Selyse taking upon herself to burn Shireen without Stannis' knowledge. Holy shit, that seems like that would be a massive shitstorm. Seems like that'd be a George R. R. Martin thing to do. Uh, I don't... No way. No way in hell does Stannis burn Shireen. You never know. She's got... Melisandre has got some hold over this guy. 
where he's betraying his friends. That would be a character betrayal. I mean, I'm not saying it can't happen. Sure. But from where he was at a couple episodes ago, he was pretty emphatic about her not being harmed or touched. And yeah. In fact, if anything, he feels bad about not being as present a father as he. He's got a, got a mm-hmm. Don Draper complex. Okay. Matt B says, other than the episode where he liberates the Unsullied, or where she liberates the Unsullied, Danny's storyline has always been near unbearable since season one. Season one was sympathetic, Danny. Season two is, where are my dragons, Danny? <laughs> and for the most part, season three and four have been her marching through the desert with a stoic look on her face while she takes over cities with almost no resistance or bloodshed. To make matters worse, the little bloodshed that has happened has happened almost entirely off screen, Jim. Yep. The problem, with, the problem with Danny's storyline in the past two seasons is that it hasn't felt true to Martin's MO of having everyone's life suck. Everyone has Everything has been going too smoothly for Danny for too long. It's nice to finally see some of the consequences of her actions. The slavers taking young Kai back, her council meetings where she has to defend her actions, her slowly losing control of her dragons, etc. Characters without conflict are not interesting, and so it's finally nice to see some in her life again. It sure feels like some dark times are ahead. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, I'm with you. More interesting because of this, less interesting. I think the angle that we kind of approached it from in the instant cast, where she is a naive young leader who's trying to figure out what the fuck to do. um, I think that's a super interesting angle. And especially when you have people who are more experienced around her telling her things that she needs to do and possibly, uh, you know, telling her opposing things to do. Like if Dario wants to do one thing and Jorel wants to do another, uh, that could get interesting. And seeing where Danny comes up on both of those opinions, I th- I certainly think it's an interesting thing. I I thought when she started freeing the slaves, it was interesting though. Um, and that's kind of just rolled right into this secondary plot of her being young, naive. No, I feel like Danny, her the nadir of her arc was in season two, and ever since she went into the house of the undying and confronted those warlock dudes, uh, she's been on a steady rise of interest. Sure. And, and I thought it was interesting and cheered her on when she's taken the cities. I think it's super interesting now. Because you're right, a young, immature leader, it feels good to crucify 163 guys that crucify little girls and boys. Sure, I bet it does. But then the next day you have to deal with the fact that you have to govern these people. And that yeah. is even more interesting. And we honestly didn't get a ton of that with Rob. Like, he was kind of set up to be that as well. And a lot of his shit Young was, leader, but he wasn't naive. He was very smart from the very beginning, I think. I, I do think that Rob's disasters were of his own making. Sure. He went back on the marriage alliance, which, uh, you know, he lost control of his mother. He yeah. had to behead one of the generals of his army that led to a lot of his reduction in strength. It was, it was. But I always felt like he knew the consequences of his actions. Yeah, to a to a further degree than Danny does. Okay, I I agree with that. I think that he made some more colossal blunders. Well, yes, really, he did. <laughs> he made a single colossal blunder. Yeah, it was kind of a Greek tragedy. That one flaw, him following his heart, led to all the other suffering. Uh huh. Danny is more. You're right. Kind of making these blunders with not really seeing it until it's too late in a rear. She's seeing them in a rear view mirror and like, Oh God, I got to back up and deal. Yeah. With and she's not being forced into these mistakes. Like Rob was mm-hmm. by his heart, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he followed his heart. He did what he thought was well, right there and what he wanted to do. But, but Danny is not being like pushed into anything by like following her heart. I think the one's Dick 
following one's dick, which let's be honest, that's what he really did. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think that her being treated as a slave by her brother and being sold yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. In, as property to Cal Drogo and then seeing how women and innocent, uh, the weaker were treated by the, uh, I almost said Cal Rothy. Uh, by the Dothraki, I uh, think that is at least as a strong a motivation for her as carnal lust. Like true. she's got a yeah. justice boner uh-huh. that you know, as soon as she gets done beating it off and you know closes the porn window, she's like, "Oh God, what have I been watching? What have I done?" Yeah, so I guess there she is following her heart. horses and dogs and you know, <laughs> men, women, children. I just, I'm disgusted with myself. So. Uh-huh. I feel like she's got Rob had the uh, the boner boner. She's got the justice boner, and they're both liabilities. Sure. So we'll see what happens with that. But I mean, Rob acknowledged like that his not marrying Walter Frey's daughter or granddaughter, whatever, was, was going to be a problem. Up. Right. Whereas Danny didn't think her actions against the Masters would be a problem. Yep. She thought I'm going to pay justice for justice, uh, justice for injustice, and we're just going to have things work out the way they should. You got me there. Rob Art has a little bit of dry pie, but he spits it up enough to say it feels like the pace of directing and even the acting is going way too fast. A lot of the scenes really feel rushed and unnatural. For example, the scene with Arya stabbing that guy in the heart and Sansa slapping Robin. Mm. What do you think? Do you agree? I agree a little bit about Arya, but it, it seems like that was the point of that scene. Like, the minute I know your name and you're standing in front of me and I can kill you, I'm going to. <laughs> and I guess how it's slowing it down... Because it was already a fairly slow philosophical scene up until yeah. the hound hit that guy in the heart. And I kind of liked how random and fast everything else went. Like, Yeah, it was just that one piece of that scene that I thought was fast. Hmm. But, do you um, think, but you don't feel it was ru- – you felt it was fast but not rushed. Uh, Yeah, it wasn't rushed. Like I said, it, it needed to happen that way, I think, um, given the plot. But then you look at scenes like – the the scene with Oberyn and Tyrion that's not rushed at all. That takes its time. That just lets you sit in the cell with them and talk for a good long while. Yeah, it was. It's it reminded me a lot of The Godfather because that's the always in my mind. Mm, yeah, <laughs> when I think of people talking being fascinating uh-huh. and the way they talk and how you can just be hypnotized and like shit. I've been watching this person talk for five minutes and the camera slowly pans in on the face. <laughs> yeah, that was very Godfather in. In mm-hmm. that it wasn't fast, it wasn't slow. It took exactly the amount of time that it needed to tell that story, and it felt like time wasn't passing while it was happening. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe Rob just wanted to see a little bit more of uh, a little bit more of Game of Thrones. He's like, "Oh, it's such a good show. It's going by too fast. I want to see more." I do say, I will say that there's a little bit of panic amongst the book readers, and I'm a little bit included in this camp just how fast are wolfing down the material. And I mm. said that like yeah. feast and dragon and dance with dragons are kind of the rougher books and the lots of filler. Like, you know, you have 45 pages of someone walking around and thinking in their own heads and then a cliffhanger. Well, mm. if you're filming that, that's 30 seconds long, man. Yeah. Cause you're not going to film someone for 15 minutes walking around and not saying anything, <laughs> just having an internal monologue. 
Yeah, or you try and create a scene with a conversation between a couple people who says this, who, which can say the same thing. Like, I, the way they're heading, they're going to be done not just with the Storm of Swords, but they're going to be done with most of Feast for Crows and Well and Dance by the end of the season. And didn't Martin just release a different book? Like... A prequel or something, some backstory. Yeah, on... he's basically it's an encyclopedia. Uh, did he just? Because I need to order that. I'm really. Interested. I think he. I think they just released it. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was an editor on this compendium of. It's kind of like the world of, I, the Song of Ice and Fire. It's, okay, it's kind of an encyclopedia. Or one so of he's those. not even doing his main job here, Dude, of keeping up with the show. It's a problem, and it's a. Pro- <laughs> it's, it's just like Rob. It's a problem of his own making. Yeah, yeah, you know, Ro- chose you know, not to write the last two books. George, you shouldn't have fucked Talisa. You should have stayed true to the phrase, <laughs> and none of this would have happened. Uh, as he cashes his massive checks from HBO, mm-hmm. Yardley H said, "I like the change of Oberon telling the story of Tywin's birth to this moment. It really magnified the hatred Cersei's always had for Tyrion, based on something he had no control over. Give it up to the thirstiest hashtag thirstiest queen of Marine and Dario Bone Hardest." Not only is Michael Huseman's character on Game of Thrones now banging Danny, but his character on Orphan Black is banging Sarah Manning. I couldn't get into Orphan Black, man. I, gave I it, haven't seen it. I gave it four episodes, and I hmm. it wasn't bad. It wasn't. I just it wasn't grabbing me. Uh, this guy's agent has totally earned his paycheck. I thought the hot pie moment was refreshing. It was good to see his character doing okay. Uh, Yardley also is uh, has several podcasts. The one germane to this topic is Behind Iron Throne, a Game of Thrones podcast. Google that and check it out. Uh, he's got given us a lot of quality feedback here. Brandon T said Oberon versus the Mountains actually the worst possible matchup from Cersei's point of view, whether she knows it now or not. It plays out one of two ways. Number one, the Mountain wins. The upshot of this for Cersei is that she gets her justice for Joffrey's death. However. Does this put her daughter, Marcella's life in jeopardy as she's living in Dorne under the watch of the Martells? Hmm. After the conversation at the Purple Wedding where Oberon made it abundantly clear that Marcella's safety was contingent upon how well the Martells were treated by the Lannisters, one has to at least entertain the idea that Marcella is not safe in this situation. Now, because of that, Cersei needs Oberon to win, and clearly Tyrion's death is pretty much her raison d'etre. I don't know. How do you raison d'etre? Her reason for existence right now. Her reason for being. Uh, do you agree with Brandon's take on Oberyn's conversation? Mm. Because I I think he I said know. in Dorne we don't hurt little girls. Uh, I I I feel like it's the opposite. Like he's putting his life on the line. The mountain kills him. If Dorne would take that on on Marcella, that would be a betrayal of what we see. You know, hmm. again they're kind of like the they're the free willing threesome having version of the starks it could be um i don't know i really don't know how to read dorn because i i don't know them very well at this point the the only thing i know of them is the small conversations that Oberyn has had so do you think this is a potential threat that uh, yeah Oberyn goes down and starts some shit in dorn sure i could see that mildly interesting scenario two all hinges on cersei realizing the implications of this fight and also caring about the life of her living daughter more than revenge for a dead son. As is constantly pointed out, though, if nothing else, Cersei loves her children. It's her one redeeming quality. So if she doesn't have yeah. the foresight to realize the implication, which is a question based on her history, not seeing the forest for the trees, she ironically must hope for Tyrion's survival. She's fairly single purpose at this moment, I think. Mm-hmm. And that single purpose is to see Tyrion killed. 
Yeah. So I, 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 this may be something that Cersei herself has not even considered. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I don't think they foresaw uh, yeah. over in Champion Tyrion, which is why it's so awesome. Sure. Yeah. It's it feels very it's very sweet. Jim H said it occurred to me. They could be setting up a confrontation between Brienne and the Hound. That stinks if it's a, as it's a lose-lose scenario for the fans, especially if Arya interferes to defend the Hound and kills Brienne. How ironic would that be? I'd be floored if Oberon goes down in the upcoming battle. Martin seems to get rid of characters that are less interesting and more one-dimensional, like Ned Stark. Mm. And I mean that. Yeah. Ned Stark was pretty He's... one-dimensional and less interesting. For sure. Uh, his world is a lot more interesting with Oberon and Tyrion around. While the mountain is about as one-dimensional as they come, I'm doubling down on Oberon and hopefully not losing my retirement money here. <laughs> what do you got for odds? Mountain versus Oberon. Mountain versus the Viper. I unfortunately got spoiled, so I know who wins this. Oh. Or, or at the very least, I know the outcome. Fuck, um, son of a bitch. That sucks. Sorry, I know. Man. I know. that. That's the one spoiler that I've caught. Uh, accidentally while I was looking for the episode name for this week. Uh, yeah, really shitty that I caught that spoiler, but right. I, I can't say anything because I don't want to spoil the audience. You're going to recuse, recuse yourself. I have to, yeah. And I can't either. So, <laughs> Jim, your prediction stands. Jim H, not Jim J. Yeah, yeah. Nick B said, Aaron, Aaron. Oops, I let it slip. <laughs> My secret's out. Aaron, dude, you hit all the notes in your short rendition of the Hodorian Reigns of Hodomir. It is Hodorific. Uh, my dirty secret is I only have a four-note range, and it just so happens mm. that's right in my wheelhouse. So, Perfect. Uh, and I have a kind of a – I have fun with my falsetto. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm not going to deploy that on the podcast. <laughs> on to my main point, I enjoyed this week's episode. And, by the way, we're, we're – me and Jim are noodling with something mm-hmm. with the, uh, the Hodors of Hodomir. We've got something coming out. I think it'll be fun. Anyway, to my point, I enjoyed this week's episode with the exception of the mountain. At this point, he's the third actor playing this guy. He just seems like a character who's been off camera for the entire series up to this point. Mm-hmm. I'm not really anticipating the duel between him and Oberon. Oh, I am. Not not because I give a shit about the mountain, but because the, I'm really interested to see the clash of styles, see how it plays out. Mm. Yeah, it's... Uh... You know, uh, Frazier versus Ali type event. Yeah. I'm not sure if you guys noticed, but this week's show did not include a single comparison shot of the mountain standing next to another person. All we saw were close-ups and one no, or two... No, sh- not true. He stands next to Cersei. All we saw were close-ups and one or two shots from the ground looking up to make the mountain look bigger. Okay. Except that Cersei was also in the frame, so the angle made her look, her look abnormally tall as well. If you're going to cast some freakishly large Scandinavian strongman, then show us how freakishly large he is HBO. He's basically complaining that they use camera tricks when they could have just straight up squared sure. up and fr- filmed this, and he'd look like a beast. Okay, I'm kind of with him there, but I think he still looked like a beast in the angled shot we got. I do, too. My arg- my problem with the mountain is he's too fucking young. And hmm. also, I've, I've been following him in the offseason and his interviews, and he also seems like just a really cool dude. Oh, okay. And part of that is bleeding. I don't have enough on-screen evidence to override his being kind of a cuddly bear type guy uh, and, and he's yeah. too young and too cuddly. It's fucking with me. What I, if the, what if the actor himself were to cut the head off a horse? <laughs> would, <laughs> would that do it for you? Well, first of all, uh, house PETA would be yeah. Roth. Oh man. Um, and, and Sarah, they have all the animal symbols on their, on their, uh, crest or whatever it Sarah is. Sarah McLaughlin would sing the reigns of Glockamere. <laughs> 
it would be a shit show. So no, I don't think you should do that. Maybe I don't CGI think so either. Wars. I'd get down with that. Sure. Uh, as a quick aside to you, gents, I want to point out that the ratings numbers you're including in each episode are for the 9 p.m. broadcast only. If you include the rerun later Sunday night plus HBO Go, the number balloons to almost 15 million, which is truly insane for a show on a subscription channel. I do not include reruns. That's like saying, do we include Seinfeld reruns? In well, the- there's okay. So there's lots of different stats. There's mm-hmm. the like first showing. There's the first showing plus three days. There's a DVR. And sure. Nielsen keeps all this stuff. I think because it's the watching patterns of shows are all different. The more kind of geek friendly show is, it seems the more the you know the DVR plus three days stuff seems to benefit. I think that you have to kind of compare apples to apples, and so that's why I always give just whatever's for the first airing on, yeah, on uh, the the TV rating site. Yeah, I'm well aware that more than seven point two million people watch this episode. Oh, and then piracy. Yeah, you're adding another probably twice that number. Sure. So, I mean, last year they said that 6 million people were watching and 6 million people pirate. There could conceivably be 30 million people with eyeballs on the show. Uh, that's that's pretty high, but yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, Benjamin G. says, At what point does Jon Snow just kill Sir Alistair Thorne? How many lives is Thorne putting at risk over his stupid grudge? Killing him is a noble thing to do. Jim, what do you think? Immediately. Kill him now. Can he get, can he get away with that? Though? I think He's they, the acting Lord Commander. They take... Rocks and rubble and ice and water and Alistair Thorne and block up <laughs> the tunnel. Uh, isn't that putting him into the Habashi Chef of Jin Alley territory? What do you mean by that? Uh, he didn't like the way Jor was commanding things north of the wall, so he just decided to kill him. Okay, there's Carl. a big difference here because this guy is being just a dick for dick's sake. All right. To John. Like, All the right. only reason he's not listening. To any rational, smart advice is because John is Jon Snow. Lord Jim Frey says, off with his head. <laughs> I say, no, not off with his head. Stick him in the tunnel. Stick him in the tunnel. Seal him up. Block him up. Uh, as a non-book reader, I'm curious how much of a badass Prince Oberyn is supposed to be. Clearly, he can handle himself well, but is he supposed to be on the same level as the mountain or a pre-hand Jamie? I guess this might hmm. be a hard answer to uh, hard question to answer without spoiling the outcome. Sure shit is. Um... So, much like most of Martin's characters, he is a badass off-screen. That yeah. He, he's, he's portrayed as, like, the anti-mountain. He went to the study at the Citadel to be a meister. He actually forged six links in his chain. Most notably, he is an expert at poison. This is actually show knowledge. He got bored at the Citadel and left before he completed his studies. He went over to Essos and toured, and again, this is book knowledge, or show knowledge as well, for I forget how many years he said last year, and he saw the Unsullied, and he saw all the free cities. Uh, he joined. Now this is book knowledge, but it doesn't really matter. He joined up the Second Sons as a uh, soldier of fortune. Hmm. Got bored with that. Started his own cell sword company. Founded a completely new one. Uh, then got bored with that. Came back home to Dorne to basically hoard up. This guy just gets bored with everything. I mean, well, I mean that's he's like the most interesting. He is the most yeah. interesting man in Westeros. <laughs> yeah. Is is basically you know, but does that make him a badass? I've always got he doesn't the impression... always drink wine, but when it does, it's Dornish red. <laughs> Stay thirsty, my friends. <laughs> uh, I got the impression that he was maybe not quite as good as prehand Jamie, uh, but you know, a, a that's very competent warrior within his own right. That's a very interesting because then you got to say, 
what is Jamie good at? Like Jamie with uh, sure. you know that that's there's he's a, a swordsman. Lot. And there's always people debating like you know who's better the lance, who's better the sword. Um, yeah, his fighting style, the, which I don't want to spoil anything. It's it's hard to compare apples, you know, apples to apples. Sure. Um, so I saw a preview for next week, and so I'm I'm well aware of uh, uh, Oberyn's fighting style. So there, we'll we'll maybe talk about this next week, but that's something that people endlessly debate. Yeah, and it's you can get like a top tier where you've got like guys like Jamie, Sir Barristan, maybe in his prime, the Mountain, not because of his technique, just because he's a handful to deal with. Sure, um, Sir Arthur Dane gets thrown into that, uh, and then you've got tiers below that, and tier, you know, it's, it's it's very hard to say exactly who would beat who, you know. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, Friend of the show, Daniel M.D., said, had a few questions, hope you can clear up for me. Where are Asha and Rickon? Weren't they headed to Castle Black? It seems like they should have arrived by now, but I don't recall that ever happening. Refreshing your memory, Bran and Asha were actually instructed, or Bran instructed Asha to bring Rickon to the holdfast of the great John Umber, um, who's the head of House Umber, one of the foremost of the Stark Bannermen. And uh, he's the guy, if you recall, that came at rob with a sword and his dire wolf bit his fingers off yep and said oh your meat's so tough to cut so he's kind of being just tucked away for plot purposes okay. whether <laughs> okay. he comes back or not i don't even know all right but don't be looking for that answer anytime soon uh while admire john snow arguing to seal the entrance at the wall he of all people should know that won't stop them they can just climb the wall hell he did it himself it's really hard. Several people died on the climb up the wall. Uh, it seems a lot more difficult than going through a tunnel. Especially imagine that you've got 60 black brothers at top, raining arrows yeah. and rock. I mean, it's shit, just rocks. You can mm-hmm. drop a five-pound rock, and that's a hell of a hard thing to deal with when you're clinging to an ice wall. Yeah, Cli- plus when you get to the top, they just you've got a hook in they just remove the hooks yeah and there you go falling back down or cut and cut the line yeah cut the lines kick the hooks out whatever so every single guy that climbs up the wall has to do it the hard way yeah. i feel like that that's an option only for the undefended parts of the wall and that's one of the sure, problems yeah. that the knights watch they don't they used to be 13 castles all fully armed people patrolling the wall every day and that just doesn't there's no now there's only three castles to defend huh. 150 miles of wall and that's where the wildlings are are able to sneak by. They can sail around because the brothers don't have adequate naval patrols, and they can also climb over. But it's still, like yeah. you said, it ain't cost-free. People fucking die when people aren't on the top trying to make it harder. Yeah. So the tunnel seems like it is a definite choke point going forward. That's it, except for the spoilers, which we will tell you to kindly fuck off for. <laughs> Uh, if you'd like to send us more feedback, you can do it at Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. You can participate in our show and podcast threads on facebook.com slash baldmove. Jim, please hold the spoilers, but you can talk to him on Twitter at baldmove. And that's it for this week. We'll see you on Sunday night for an instant take. For episode eight, The Mountain and the Viper should be no holds barred, grudge match, steel hell cage, yeah. hell in a cell. We're going to get down and dirty with it and then full cast again on Tuesday. Oh, fuck me. No. Is there? No. We will not have a Game of Thrones this we weekend will not. because HBO is holding that. Yeah. Uh, they're wanting to not have the Memorial Day hit. No instant cast, no full cast next week, obviously. We're just basically going on hiatus. 
for one week. For one yep. week for Game of Thrones. But if you're a Mad Men fan, join us. We'll still be doing Mad Men and, and 24 and Fargo. <laughs> We've got no small amount of content for you guys to enjoy. I have one last question before we go about uh, Trial by Combat. Is there anything in the rules that says where they have to fight? Could Cersei make them fight inside Tyrion's cell? <laughs> I, I think that favors the mountain. I don't have an answer for that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't know. More interesting is, like, what happens if they declare trial by wombat? I don't think that's more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. See you later, and uh, we'll see the book readers and the adventuresome show watchers in the spoiler section. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you then. Watch it all come around as I lay on the ground Joffrey, Cersei, ill and pain the hound They all think I'm lost, but I know where I'm bound I'm the blood in the north when it all comes down My word is my bond, and my bond is my word Valar to Harris, all men must serve See as a raven flies, and time slips by Valar, my rulers, all men must die Hey everybody, we got Jim out of the room So it's safe for us to get down and dirty in the spoiler section First off... A thought, this almost qualifies as a mini tinfoil segment, but a lot of people have speculated that Melisandre is not all that she appears. In fact, there's always some involvement of a ruby in the items that she is doing long-term glamouring on. For example, Stannis' sword Lightbringer, the one that glows with the, uh, the weird light and the fire, has a red prominent red ruby in its hilt when she glamours Mance to look like the Rattleshirt, the Lord of Bones, he has a ruby bracelet on. She also has a very prominent ruby crystal on her throat in the books as described, and she's always worn that in the show at all times. People have wondered if she is not glamouring herself, if she's actually very old, very uh, much ancient, um, a crone, if you will, that she's glamoured herself to look beautiful to better accomplish her mission. Um, I don't know what to think about that theory in light of this episode where we see her bathing buck naked and still looking like quite the catch. It, some people have said, well, it could be the potion that she sprinkles into the bathwater. But, I mean, I don't know. I, how long does the glamour last without some kind of enchantment? Uh, some people have also said, well... Salise doesn't need the fire. She doesn't need the glamours. She's a true believer, so she sees things as Melisandre wants her to see. I think that's a little bit weak. So I don't know what to make of that theory. If it's a prop oversight, if it's something that Germ of George Martin hasn't shared with the Double Ds yet, or what. But a possible little tinfoil death that we saw on screen. Let's get back to the spoilery feedback. Jacob LB said, Happened to see George Martin's appearance on Conan last week. He talks about the showrunners killing off characters that haven't died yet in the books. Probably not a ton to talk about here since I can't even think of any specific examples off the top of my head. But he wanted to have a little discussion on that. I heard about that theory as well, or that not theory, that statement by Martin. Uh, the ones I can think of off the top of my head are some of Danny's handmaidens. I can't even remember what their name. I thought one of them was Daria. Uh, she's still alive in the books. Uh, they're the It Is Known folks, and she got locked up with Zaro Don Duck Sauce in the books, presumably dead. Uh, Zaro Zone Duck Sauce himself is also one of the people that got locked into 
Jesus Christ, I'm batting on all cylinders. He got locked in a vault too, presumably dead. He is still alive and kicking in the books. In fact, he plays a diplomatic role later on in Dance of Dragons. I'm trying to think who else. Uh, I feel like they've maybe killed one of Danny's blood riders on screen, or at least we haven't seen him uh, in a long while. But I can't think of anybody too major. Anyway, we'll have to uh, keep our eye out on that. Oh, wait a second. No, there is one other person. They killed, and it's actually germane to this episode. I can't believe I almost forgot. There is a singer in King's Landing that Joffrey had his tongue torn out. So presumably he's no longer a singer. Um, he, in the book, survives and ingratiates himself with Littlefinger and travels with him to the Vale and to the uh, Eerie, the Eerie, and uh, sings for Lady uh, Arryn and makes some inappropriate advances to Sansa and is in the throne room or whatever you call that chamber at the moon door when Lysa gets chucked out. In fact, Littlefinger pegs the murder on this guy. So that's one of the things I was talking over the gym. I really have no idea how he's going to talk his way out of this, whether they're really going to be like it's a slip, trip, fall situation. Um, I hope that they have something more clever in mind. Um, I could see them maybe pinning this on that Mord character, you know, the guy that was not too bright, uh, that was the jailer that they uh, Tyrion bribed to get his trial by combat. Um, maybe somehow they, they summon him and they pin pin the whole thing on him because he seems like an easy to per, uh, person to take advantage of. Honestly, I don't know how they're going to kind of get their worked away around that. But again, pretty minor characters so far. There hasn't been anybody like, oh my God, Rob Stark's dead in the series and he's still alive in the books type moments. Moving on to Matt in Delaware, last year I emailed into the spoiler section to show asking about the timing of Jamie's arrival back to King's Landing, mainly the ramifications of him being at the Purple Wedding. Now the show is clearly caught up with the books in that regard. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the pros and cons of what this divergence has brought about. I've been fearful this story change would break several plot lines and bring about issues with Jamie's character. Did you feel the same, and how do you feel about it now? At the time, I wasn't really that worried. Uh, I will and I don't know... I think that if I read the director's comments and George Martin's comments about the infamous rape scene, that the timing of him arriving instead of him just arriving right before that scene, the fact that he'd been there for weeks, that they felt like, you know, instead of Cersei being genuinely pleased to see him and see him alive and that being a much more consensual thing, that it was, you know, a lot more gray area. And we've talked about that enough, I think. That is a pretty huge casualty to the plot because it has, you know, it's basically forced me to retcon as if that scene never really happened or it happened as a much uh, a consensual sex scene and not a rape because otherwise I don't, you know, I, I find it hard to square Jamie's redemption arc with the fact that he would rape his sister. Um, I don't think it's impossible to do so because we've seen the same thing with the hound where he does really despicable shit like murdering a child, like stealing, uh, condemning a father and daughter to death for the winter. Yeah, maybe another soldier would have done it, but maybe not also, asshole. And then we seem to be surprisingly tender with this uh, farmer slash Millcroft slash stonemason, whatever he is. So it's not impossible, but I think 
the difference is where Jamie was in his redemption arc versus where the hound is. The hound really his redemption hasn't began, so he can still be kind of a shit. Whereas Jamie, I feel like once he rescued Brienne and once he got his arm cut off, that was the catalyst that was kicked off his redemption arc and him backsliding. I just don't like. So that's my thoughts, Matt. Hope I answered it comprehensively. Dana C says, how do you see them handling the gene pool as Arya stand in, given that we haven't been introduced to the character apart from the double D's pointing her out as an unnamed background character in season one? Do you think it will be more character retconning or is it possible they'll use Ramsey's fuck buddy Miranda? Ding, ding, ding as the Arya double since they've made it a point to feature her so heavily this season. I could see that fitting in with the direction they're going and it would have interesting implications to the Mance Raider rescue mission way down the road. Uh, That is exactly what I think they're going to do. And you're right. It does have some interesting implications for the Mance Raider rescue mission. But yeah, because... Yeah, how would Theon, hmm, how would all that work out? Maybe she gets, maybe Theon kills her in the quote-unquote rescue attempt, and the pink letter is a little bit more strongly worded. Instead of, you stole my bride, you murdered my bride. I could see that, and it doesn't really materially change the plot. He would have to somehow explain that that's not really Arya to... Mance and the other Spearwives, but I, I don't see any conceptually b- problem with that. Or they could just introduce some girl. They could even bring that same one back and say, this is Arya Stark, and somehow I don't know whether Theon would have a conversation with somebody, or you know he would say out loud, but that's an Arya Stark, my lord. And get, I mean, obviously we know it's an Arya Stark, so maybe that's the thing, and we can just see Theon kind of his eyes bugging out and doing the acting for him. Be interesting to see how they handle it, but I got faith in the double D's. Tyler S says, obviously, Rorge and Biter are never going to come across Brandon Pod. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, there you go, Jacob LB. Yet another example. I knew there was one I was forgetting. Are never going to come across Brienne and Pod, which makes sense, assuming Brienne is going to meet the new and improved Brotherhood without mercy by the end of the season. If that's the case, I'm super disappointed that we're not going to see Brienne wander from city to city on a wild goose chase for eight episodes, not season. Next season. I'm assuming this is yet another joke there, Tyler. We finally witnessed the beginning of the end for the Hound. I'm glad they've stretched out his storyline through the whole season. As awesome as Arya's training and Bravos is going to be, I'm really going to miss this duo. Yeah. Uh, whether, you know, my theory last week with the grave digging Hound is true or not, the f- sad fact is Sandor is going to be put on layaway if he comes back at all for at least a season. Maybe just a season with the rate of which they're wolfing down uh Feast for Crows and Dance of Dragons. But he's definitely going away for at least a season. And I agree. I'm going to be sad about that. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a tinfoil theory. The first one, the one that I read and decided I want to do a tinfoil segment on the podcast. It's called The Grand Northern Conspiracy. The Grand Northern Conspiracy is the brainchild of a guy named Yeed. I think that's how you pronounce the name. Y-E-A-D-E. On Reddit, he also has a Tumblr. And if you search for Grand North Conspiracy, it's literally the first results. So if you want to Google more of this, the problem with this theory is it is a sprawling one. It is a massive, well-interconnected plot that basically speculates that everyone that's anyone in the Riverlands, everyone that's anyone in the North is conspiring to put Jon Snow, if not on the Iron Throne, then installing him as King of the North ruling in Winterfell. 
It is massive. It is sprawling. We're going to have to consider this probably as a three-parter. This first part, I'm going to concentrate on one of the players, uh, which is the Band of Brothers slash Lady Stoneheart, and also considering the evidence of how Jon Snow could be made King of the North, despite the fact that he is right now one of the Night's Watchmen and is directly prohibited to doing anything like this. Now, a lot of this theory was written at the time of A Feast for Crows, and I don't think it's been updated with a lot of Dance of Dragons information, so I'll be updating that as we go with some of my thoughts and speculation. But again, all credit for this goes to Yeed, and uh, Google up if you want to read the whole thing. If you don't want to wait for uh, the all the parts to come out, so you can also kind of cheat and read ahead and get some feedback on it if you'd like. First, let's consider, obviously, the North Remembers. That's a meme going throughout the series, and there's several in, uh, several pieces of uh, really badass evidence in A Dance with Dragons and Feast of Crows about the North not forgetting their king. For example, 10-year-old Liana Mormont rejects Stannis Baratheon as her king. He sent ravens uh, asking for fealty from all the northern lords. She sends back a letter. Bear Island knows no king but the king of the North, whose name is capital S, capital T, capital A, capital R, capital K, Stark. Willa Manderly which is a 15-year-old girl, is listening to the treacherous lies of the Freys in her father's court in the White Harbor until it grows to be too much for her, and she lashes out and says, A thousand years before the conquest, a promise was made, and oaths were sworn in the wolf's den before the old gods and the new, when we were sore and beset and friendless, hounded from our homes and in peril of our lives. The wolves took us in and nourished us and protected us against our enemies. The city is built upon the land they gave us, in return, we swore that they sh- we would always be their men, Stark men. We also see the Northern Hill clansmen, which are fierce, fiercely loyal to Ned uh, and to the Starks in particular. One of them uh, talking about why they're marching here in the beginning of winter. He says, winter is almost upon us, boy, and winter is death. I would sooner my men die fighting for Ned's little girl than alone and hungry in the snow, weeping tears that freeze upon their cheeks. No one sings songs of men who die like that. As for me, I am old. This will be my last winter. Let me bathe in bolton blood before I die. I want to feel it spatter across my face when my axe bites deep into a bolton skull. I want to lick it off my lips and die with the taste of it on my tongue. And then, most badass of all, the fat man, Wyman Manderley, too, too, a lord too fat to sit a horse, uh, says to Lord Davos, foes and false friends are all around me. They infest my city like roaches, and at night I feel them crawling over me. The fat man's fingers coiled into a fist, and all his chins trembled. My son Wendell came to the twins a guest. He ate Lord Walter's bread and salt, hung his sword upon the wall to feast with friends, and they murdered him. Murdered, I say, and may the phrase choke upon their fables. I drink with Jared, I jape with Simon. I promised Rhaegar the hand of my beloved granddaughter, but never think that that means I have forgotten. The North remembers, Lord Davos. The North remembers, and the mummer's farce is almost done. So we see that as far as the North goes, people hate the Boltons, they hate the Freys, and they're biding their time uh, to to, to strike back. The point of the Grand Northern Conspiracy is to basically put everyone in the North, including the Riverlands, as part of a conspiracy that is set to install John uh, as king in the north 
and to bleed the Boltons, the Freys, and also the Baratheons, Stannis's men, uh, and weaken them to make that easier. So first things first, we have to decide whether we find it plausible that Jon Snow can sit as King of the North. Let me read an excerpt uh, that Rob discusses about the kingship and the king of the north and succession. He says, a king must have an heir. If I should die in my next battle, the kingdom must not die with me. By law, Sansa is next in line of secession, so Winterfell in the north would pass to her. His mouth tightened to her and her lord husband, Tyrion Lannister. I cannot allow that. I will not allow that. That dwarf must never have the north. He's having a conversation with his mother here, kind of floating this idea by her, and she puts forth a lot of the same questions and concerns that we as a reader have. What of his oath to the Night's Watch? Rob says, uh, as far as his oath, so did the Knights of the Night's Guard. I, that did not stop the Lannisters from stripping the white cloak from Sir Barristan Selmy and Sir Boris Blunt when they had no more use for them. If I send the Watch a hundred men in John's place, I'll wager they'll find some way to release him from his vows. Clearly, John... Rob rather thinks there's some arrangement that can be made, purely legal, to can get John out of his his vow to the Night Night's Watch. What of his bastard status? He can't inherit lands. He couldn't be king of the North. Rob says not unless he's legitimized by a royal decree. John, Rob literally has the authority to recognize John as a as a Stark and make him eligible to uh, hold the title of Lord of Winterfell and King of the North and pass that on to his bloodline. Also, there's other evidence. Uh, we know with uh, Maester Ammon, uh, Jor Mormont was ta- telling John about how he was a Targaryen, and he actually had a chance to sit the throne, even though he was a Maester of the Citadel even back then. He said, They offered it, meaning the kingship, quietly to Ammon, and quietly he refused. The gods meant for him to serve, not to rule, he told them. He had sworn a vow and would not break it, though the High Septim himself offered to absolve him. We see that the High Septon is not above getting involved politics, getting involved with politics, and he's set aside Joffrey and Sansa's betrothal and engagement. Um, he offered in this case to set aside Ammon's obligation to the Citadel. Uh, it's very possible that you could find the Septon to set aside John's uh, obligations. Also, he did not swear his allegiance to the Night's Watch with the to the old gods and the new, or even to the new gods. He swore them to the old gods only. By the time of the Dance with Dragons, we realize that the old gods are nothing more than the spirit memories of all the green seers that have come before, the children of the forest, some of the first men. We know Bran and Bloodraven. Bloodraven is already a green seer and one of those arguably old gods, and, and Bran is fast on his way. If someone needed to send a sign that the old gods are cool with Jon Stark, or Jon Snow rather, putting aside his vows and putting aside his black cloak and becoming king of the north, I'm sure they could arrange some sort of sign with a crow you know, corking out a, a word here or there, or maybe even a whisper coming out of a tree, they can have a lot of influence on this. There's really only two factors, so the theory goes, that can nullify John's claim on Winterfell. Number one, if Jane Westerling is pregnant with Rob's child and heir, I think we can safely dismiss this now that the television show has made her into Talisa and there was a definitive stabbing of her stomach 
clearly Rob's not going to have a baby coming in the series that's going to muck up the lines of secession. So I think maybe that was a direct attempt for George Martin to do damage control because a lot of people speculated that maybe the Blackfish had you know, made off with her or was trying to shelter her or there was this big conspiracy to keep uh, her from the, the, the John or Rob's unborn baby from being discovered by the Lannisters. And there was a conspiracy with her mother and father saying they forced her to drink moon tea. I think we can put that to, uh, to bed, but there's still those who witnessed Rob's decree are either dead or otherwise barred from barred from spreading the news. We'll get to that to a minute, but the people that are present when Rob decrees that John should be his successor are great John Umber, Gilbert Glover or Galbert Glover, Maggie Mormont, Edmund Tully, Jason Malister. All of them are still alive, but most of them are hostages to the phrase and Lannisters or dead. Do Great John is a hostage of the phrase. Uh, the Malisters are prison in his own keep, courtesy of Black Walter Frey. Uh, but what of Lord Galbert and Lady Maggie and Edmure? Well, we're going to consider some of those right now. Of course, the Storm of Swords introduced the Brotherhood Without Banners, and in particular, they're accompanied by a singer of ill repute called Tom O'Seven Strings, or Tom O'Seven. Doesn't do much, but later in A Feast for Crows, we're introduced to a singer in the Frey camp at the Siege of Run- River Run. Jamie, for whatever reason, takes a liking to him and has him accompany him throughout the camp as he does about it goes about his business. Now, this is the first thing that I kind of sat up and took notice about the Grand Northern Conspiracy because I did not make this connection on my first run through. And it's a rather obscure reference, but I am pretty convinced that it's correct. The evidence that connects the Tom 07 streams to this unknown singer that is in River Run was that Tom once, I'm reading right from the uh, A Song of Ice and Fire wiki page on Tom 07 Streams, says Tom 07 once ran afoul of Edmer Tully, that's Cat's brother, that's a Blackfish's uh, brother, or nephew rather, when he stole a girl that Edmure was supposed to take to bed uh, to take his virginity. Edmure had drunk too much and was unable to perform. Tom did made a song about a floppy fish, which led to Edmure's hatred of music. Now, towards the end of Jamie's dealings in River Run, he takes Tom O'Sevens uh, to Edmure's chambers in River Run and orders him to sing the reigns of Castamere. And Edmure responds by saying, No, not him. Get him away from me. People are putting two and two together and say that he recognized Tom O'Seven as the one that mocked him and mocked his impotence on that night that he was trying to lose his virginity, and that this singer is actually Tom O'Sevens who is a spy for the Brotherhood Without Banners. If this is true, and I believe it is, this is the information that Tom has access to in Jamie's chapters. Number one, Ryman Frey, which is Lord Walder's heir, is leaving River Run because Jamie dismisses him from service. He was uh, leading the siege against River Run, and he was doing a shitty job of it. And he was returning with a lightly armed escort back to the Twins, also, Jamie says that he's required to turn over all Red Wedding hostages held in twins to Lannister custody, presumably to King's Landing. That's pretty valuable information for the Brotherhood Without Banners to make use of. In fact, they don't have to wait long because in between this Jamie chapter where he finds out this information, Tom O'Sevens, and the next Jamie chapter, we learn that Lady Stoneheart's band has ambushed Ryman's group and killed them all. In fact, Walter Rivers says, three knights and a dozen men at arms, said Rivers. It's almost as if they knew that he'd be returning to the twins and with a small escort. 
How did they know? Tom 07 informed on them. Now, many of the river lords and a great many Northmen that are, are only bending the knee and swearing fealty to the Boltons and to the Freys because their heirs and other important family members are being held hostage by the Freys and the Boltons. Well, Jamie now is forcing them all to give these hostages up to King's Landing. You can imagine that there'd be no Frey safe in the Riverlands, no Bolton safe in the north, if the Red Wedding hostages could escape on their way to King's Landing and to the Lannisters. And the Brotherhood Without Banners might be in a position to effect that kind of jailbreak because they've got this inside information being supplied by Tom O'Sevens. Listen to the end of the chapter here, too, the last chapter that Jamie has before he leaves River Run. He says, uh, Jamie came upon him, speaking of Tom O'Seven, standing inside an open door where it was dry. I'd have expected you to depart with the phrase. That one up there is afraid, the singer said, nodding at Lord Emmon, which is Jamie's uncle by marriage. And this castle seems a nice, snug place to pass the winter. You should get on famously with my aunt, said Jamie. If you hope the winter here, see that your playing pleases Lady Ginna. She's the one that matters. Not you? My place is with the king. I shall not stay here long. I'm sorry to hear that, my lord. I know better songs than Reigns of Castamere's. I could have played you, oh, all sorts of things. Now, recall that Davin Lannister is betrothed currently to a fray. And he said in this same chapter, I'll wed and bed my stoat, never fear. I know what happened to Rob Stark. Jamie rides a raven tree where in dance with dragons, he's going to uh, end the dispute between the Brackens and the Blackwoods and bring everyone back under to the king's peace. But Davin's last seen in River Run, and it's speculated that he plans to marry there before taking the river road home to Castle Rock. A lot of people speculate that there's going to be a Red Wedding 2.0 here in River Run, where Lady Stoneheart and the Brotherhood Without Banners are going to crash this party and kill everyone in attendance. In fact, it's popular speculation that Lord Walder himself is going to waddle down from the twins to gloat over the ancestral home of the Tullys that he's been uh, forced to bend the knee to for all these long years and to kind of parade himself around and be satisfied at how he's finally won victors over his political rivals just in time for a Red Wedding 2.0, and that this is hinted at by Tom hinting that he could sing a song even better than The Reigns of Castamere. But that's not all. So Red Wedding 2.0 would be pretty spectacular all by itself. But the Grand Northern Conspiracy goes a little bit further and says there's another mission that Lady Stoneheart is trying to accomplish. Jamie learns of the activities of the Brotherhood Without Banners later on in one of his chapters, and he asks um, the outlaws that killed her, your husband, and she's talking about the, he's talking about the fray that we talked about being killed, said, was it Lord Barrick's uh, Dondarian's band? She said, so we thought at first. The killers scattered when they left Oldstone. Lord Viprin tracked one band to Fairmarket but lost them there. Black Walter led hounds and hunters into Hag's Mire after the others. The peasants denied seeing them, but when questioned sharply, they sang a different song. They spoke of a one-eyed man and another who wore a yellow cloak, and a woman cloaked and hooded. The peasants would have us believe that her face was torn and scarred, her eyes terrible to look on. They claimed she led the outlaws. Led them? Jamie found that hard to believe. Beric Dondarrion and the Red Priest were not seen. 
Lady Mary ascended certain. How far did Black Walter track the hooded woman and her men? The hounds picked up her scent again north of Hag's Mire, the older woman told him. He swears that he was no more than half a day behind them when they vanished into the neck. I would not put it past a Kranigman to shelter outlaws, said Sir Danwell Frey. The one-eyed man is Jack Be Lucky, the other is Lim Lemon Cloak, and of course, the hooded woman is Lady Stoneheart. But, again, the Grand Northern Conspiracy points out that this is not the first time we've seen Catelyn Stark, or some kind of incarnation of Catelyn Stark, like Lady Stoneheart, uh, uh, Lady Stoneheart in Hag's Mire. Hag's Mire was the location where Rob's uh, war party got bogged down at, and he led his last war council, and this is the one where he legitimized John and made him heir to Winterfell, or at least that's the theory. I'll read you what it says in A Storm of Swords. It said, Rob picked up a sheet of parchment. One more matter. Lord Balin has left chaos in his wake, we hope. I would not do the same. I have no son as of yet. My brothers Bran and Rickon are dead. My sister is wed to a Lannister. I thought long and hard about who might follow me. I command you now as my true and loyal lords to fix your seals to this document as witnesses to my decision. We know what his thoughts were when he's talking over to his mother. The theory is that he had a signed royal decree that legitimized Jon Snow and made him the heir of Winterfell and the heir to the king of the north, the crown. Now, a lot of people wonder, there's been a lot of uh, book speculation about what happened to that decree. We talked about the people that were fixed their seals to it and knew that it existed, but what actually happened to it? Well... It's interesting that Hag's Mire is where Lady Stoneheart let, went before she headed to the Neck to find shelter, apparently, amongst the Krennigmen, which we know uh, is Howland Reed, Ned Stark's old friend, and where Greywater watches, and they'd be very safe there. What if they actually hid or left a document there at Hag's Mire? What if Lady Stoneheart, and again, we, one of Big Bear's theory is that she hates... Jon Snow, but maybe death has given her a new perspective, and if she tr truly believes that there's no more true-born sons of Ned Stark, she's going to want vengeance, and she knows Jon well enough that know that he would want vengeance if given the chance, and that he would live up to the Stark ideals. She picks up this royal decree, takes it to Howland Reed. Interestingly enough, we know from the L plus R equals J theory, Howland Reed might be the last person left alive who knows the true identity of Jon Snow. The fact that he is actually the son of Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark, that would give him a very strong claim to the uh, seat of Winterfell and the Iron Throne. So that would be a nice ace for Howland Reed to have in his pocket. This is the first part of the Grand North Conspiracy, basically showing how the actions... First of all, I don't think it's very obvious about what the Brotherhood of Banners and what Lady Stoneheart are trying to accomplish in the Riverlands and how this might serve there at the end to put Jon Snow onto uh, as King of the North, or if, if not onto the Iron Throne. Next week, we'll talk about uh, where, to, where the Blackfish, uh, what part he plays in all this mess and what part the veil might play. And in part three, we'll talk about uh, up north and evidence that all three of these parties are working together. Uh, again, it's tinfoil. It's stuff that you have to read between the lines, and you have to make connections, like uh, Rob Stark's signage decree in Hagsmire, 
Lady Stoneheart going to Hagsmire. Uh, Tom O'Sevens is the, the unnamed singer. You have to make these connections, but if you do, it really opens up a lot of possibilities. Curious to see what you guys make of that, and uh, thanks for listening, and I will see you next week. Scratch that. I will not see you next week. I keep forgetting. We're on hiatus the next week. But uh, that gives you extra time for me to research and uh, put this into an easy-to-digest format and for you to also read up on the Grand Northern Conspiracy and tell me what you think. We'll see you in two weeks, Sunday for the instant cast and Tuesday for the full cast. Talk to you then.